ET5000 in the house. What's going on, buddy? What's going on? Not much. It's busy week, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Looking um, forward to diving back into it. We got some football starting. We, we have some football started, right? We're going to cover some college football today. Some busy week one action, but we've got the NFL back this week. Very yeah. exciting time of year. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for the first matchup, uh, possible Super Bowl matchup in week one. I feel like we always say that every single year, but I feel like this is this has a legitimate shot at being the Super Bowl matchup. The Rams I mean, have one of the best have one of the best rosters in football and look to be one of the strongest candidates in the NFC. And then you got the Bills, who are probably more primed than ever to make a Super Bowl run this year. So it's going to be interesting. But we will get into that in a little bit. I apologize for my A, horrific appearance, uh, B, monotone voice at the beginning. And, well, I guess that's pretty much it. But uh, we are recording on Sunday, September 4th at 10.20 right now in the morning. And I didn't get home from work until 5.30. So in the morning, not the afternoon. But you've you've got to respect the dedication that you're showing <laughs> right now. Oh, as I told Dan right before we started, if uh, if I didn't get a few out, if I didn't get a couple hours of sleep at work, this would not be happening right now. But <laughs> um, if you're listening, I know that this podcast goes up on Tuesday, September 6th, obviously. We didn't think that anyone would be listening on Labor Day. Everyone wants to enjoy their Labor Day. It's the last holiday before, you know, the year starts to suck. So, <laughs> so you know, we, we, we get that definitely. And we don't want to be sitting there with uh, two plays throughout one day on, uh, on our podcast because, you know, we got to make a little money to ourselves. But we digress. All right. So besides for the NFL starting this, this week, I think the biggest headline, I think you could agree with this, was obviously Donovan Mitchell being traded from the Utah Jazz to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, this one, Dan, I don't, I don't know if you are a Nick fan. I don't remember. Are you a Nick fan? I am. This, this hurts. This is kind of like a kick in the nuts, honestly. Yeah, you know, there, there's, a, there's a kind of a, a strange segment of Knicks fans out there that are happy that they didn't give up any assets. To oh, get my God. But, you know, to those people, I say, when is it? When is it finally time to win? You know, when are you going to get a player like Donovan Mitchell uh, and, and get higher than the nine seed or the eight seed, which, you know, is kind of the, what we're looking at right now with the way the team is currently built. You know, it's uh, it's disappointing. I, I think I think the Knicks are disappointed, too. I, I read um, if anybody hasn't read uh, Woj's report about this trade and how it went down, uh, it sounds like the Knicks didn't think that. They had that the Jazz had an offer like that on the table from the Cavs. And it sounds like they at least thought that if they got an offer like that, the chance would be given to the Knicks uh, to match it or to come I, up with something that can that can counter it. And they never got that opportunity. It was just yeah. kind of slipped away from them. You know what bothers me about it, though? I feel like if you read that like final offer that the Knicks sent to the Jazz and they declined it, doesn't it feel like way more than what they took from the Cleveland Cavaliers? You know, though, well, so here's what the Knicks didn't do. They didn't check off a few boxes. This is, again, according to Woj's reporting. I don't doubt it. I'm sure he's correct. The, <laughs> the Jazz basically wanted uh, R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, uh, and three unprotected first-round picks. I don't know about the pick swaps, which they got two of them from Cleveland. I, they might have been able to do it without that because that's a lot. 
they wanted R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, three unprotected first-round picks. The Knicks would not go to three unprotected first-round picks. They would only do two. Uh, although the, apparently the protection they wanted was top five, which they know, draft horribly anyway. What is the well, difference? Yeah, that's the thing is they're not. They're, it's not like they're going to be picking fourth or fifth next year or something like that. They're not going to be. You know, they're going to be in the maybe 10, 11, 12 range at worst. Mm-hmm. So I don't get that. But they they wouldn't go that far, and they would not give Quentin Grimes. They they were willing to do R.J. Barrett, uh, which think, is apparently before and after the extension, which is crazy to me because think about. Think about this. Like, I'm not knocking Quentin Grimes, but like, RJ Barrett is far and away the best player on the Knicks. I think we could both both agree with that. And I, is, I think but... it's, it definitely is. So I could the... see being hesitant giving him up. I mean, to me, it's kind of counterintuitive. Like, if you're going to give up RJ Barrett to get Donovan Mitchell, who's Donovan Mitchell playing with? Like, you, you know what I mean? You have to keep some guys around. So. I kind of get the Knicks being hesitant on trading RJ Barrett because he is their biggest star, but make up for it. I mean, Quentin Grimes, like, like really, Quentin Grimes? Like, would you rather have Donovan Mitchell or Quentin, Quentin Grimes? Like, apparently, and the three first game. round picks and the three first round picks that are inevitably yeah. going to be busts. Like, what are we talking about here? Apparently, <laughs> they tried to give Emmanuel quickly instead of Quentin Grimes. Dude, and the Jazz it, wouldn't go for that. Yo, but, if it was me and they wanted RJ Barrett. I'm going to sound off. You already got me. We're five minutes and 35 seconds in. I'm already energized and pissed off. Already. I woke you up. We woke you up with this. You you woke me up with this already. I'm, I'm raring to go. I'm charged up right now. Um, you know, if, if Quinn Grimes, RJ Barrett, and whatever, how many three first round picks is like, ah, nah, we, we can't do this. Or even if they didn't want to give up three first round picks, say two first round picks, make it up somewhere. How about Obi Toppin? Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and and Mitchell Robinson in two first-round picks, and I'll take Donovan Mitchell. I know that sounds like way too much, but you know what? We need something in New York. We're dying over here. Dan, you're not in New York anymore. You don't know what it's like over here. I, I very I, much know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know I you do. Feel but, it. Always but, I mean, it's just like I, – I, I don't know. I, this, this regime – went from me like having the slightest bit of hope to me kind of being like, oh my God, we're falling into, you know, the Isaiah Thomas category again with with, with the Knicks front office. Well, we, we found out something huge this offseason. That's Leon Rose is very unwilling to part with draft picks. It, it almost reminds you a little bit of, of Danny Ainge, which is ironic considering Danny Ainge is on the other end of this trade. But, you know, all those years, Danny Ainge had these assets, mostly from the Nets with the Celtics and he would just refuse to trade those top picks. And I will say it worked out for them for the Celtics, but it only worked out because the Nets picks were so high. The Knicks are not going to be picking first or third. They're not going to be able to get Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. But we found out with the DeJounte Murray situation where the Knicks wouldn't give up those first rounders, despite having a lot of them, because we know they went out and got more first round picks uh, on draft night. So they have their own, for uh, forever they have 2023 20, 24 25 26 they also have a few unpro- uh, a few protected first round picks in 2023 they weren't willing to give them up for Dejounte Murray they weren't willing I'm to okay give with up. that yeah but but you know we're seeing a pattern now right is yeah. that the, no matter who comes across the board whether it's him whether it's Donovan Mitchell Leon Rose has a limit and he wouldn't he wasn't willing to go past that limit no matter what for Donovan Mitchell for Dejounte Murray So, you know, there's a plan in place and he's sticking to it. I just don't think it's a plan that is really going to work if you're picking 12th or 13th in the draft. Listen, listen, Dan, you know, you know, we are floating dangerously towards 
inevitably landing like Mike Connolly as like con- <laughs> like as like compensation for this. Like Jordan Clarkson. Know, yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I, I wouldn't really be that mad about it because I think Jordan Clarkson's a fine player. Same thing with Mike Connolly. He's just overpriced, overpriced and and older at this point. But you know, like <laughs> this has been a trend for how long? Like. I mean, you could even go back a couple years where there were graphics being made by clutch points of having KD, uh, Kyrie Irving, and Zion Williamson in in Knicks jerseys, and you end up with no one. It's the same. I feel like we go through the same thing every year. I was genuinely surprised that they even land in Jalen Brunson, and that's because they grossly overpaid for oh, one playoff sample size. And they, you they know? hired his father too. So yeah, I, I mean, like, what are we doing? Like. What are we doing? Like, we're gonna have to start giving like guys like weird incentives. Like, we're gonna have to start giving pieces of Madison Square Garden like a hot dog vendor on the street. Like, is this the only way that we can get people to come to New York? Like, it's it's just it's so horrendous that I, I honestly think that we could sit here as two Nick fans and talk about this for an hour and a half. I don't want to do that, but it's just so immensely frustrating being linked with all these guys and then just never coming away with anyone. Like, it, it's it's bad. Like I knew, I knew DeJounte Murray wasn't going to be a Nick kind of the same thing with Donovan Mitchell. Once I kind of heard like what they were offering, I was like, maybe that's doable. But I mean, I I saw that Cavs, what the Cavs gave up for Donovan Mitchell. And I was like, there's no way that the Knicks couldn't have done better than that. You know, know they would just refuse to do. And that that's crazy to me that you had someone that's willing and able and is in the prime of his career that wants to come to New York. Who wants to come to New York to play for the Knicks anymore? You know what I'm saying? You take yeah. that and run with it, Leon Rose. You, you know, opportunity. I, I mean, uh, I, well, what you said before, <laughs> I, I want to go back just to, to close this part out. I, I want to go back to, you said, uh, <laughs> you said that, you know, who will, if you trade RJ Barrett, who's he going to play with? That's the advantage that the Cavs had actually, because they were able to put in an RJ Barrett like piece. He's not, he's not R.J. Barrett, but mm-hmm. Colin Sexton is a scorer who, you know, he like, like R.J. Barrett, he could be inconsistent on the offensive end. Some nights he's unstoppable. Some nights he's just horribly inefficient. They were able to give Colin Sexton and it not matter because they have all these other pieces. They've, they've drafted so well or, or yeah. and added so well over the years that you can trade somebody like Colin Sexton and you still have Darius Garland. You have Jarrett Allen. You have Evan Mobley. You've got all these guys. You don't even feel the loss of Colin Sexton, who, who I should add missed most of last year with an injury. The Knicks haven't built a team like that. They have not. They haven't gotten assets like Cavs have gotten. Part of it is because they haven't been as bad. So they haven't drafted as high. Oh, but Dan, Dan, we, we we have the assets now. We refuse to to part well, with them. So the, I can't wait to see what's going on here. But they don't have the players. They don't have the no. roster where you can deal from a point of strength like the Cavs can and not even feel it. But yeah, they've got the draft picks, and they're they're just not willing to to send them. So, you know, that's the next, that's the, Leon Rose's plan. The last thing I'm going to say about this is I already feel like the Knicks missed their window to be perennial low seed playoff contenders in the East because the year that they made the playoffs two years ago, the East was significantly less strong than it is now. Now it is loaded. We have flipped from the West being an absolute powerhouse to the East being a powerhouse now. Now the the Knicks missed their opportunity. They should have taken the playoff experience and 
fueled it into kind of revamping this roster. Because you know what? Like, the Knicks have been such a laughingstock for so long. They had a good season, and they made the playoffs. That is certainly massive upside where you could have gotten, you know, free agents or you could have gotten trade pieces. They just never really capitalized on it. You know, they they went crazy, you know, filling the roster with, with like, wily veterans that were never going to, you know, stay longer than a half a season and just be trade bait. I mean, I, I don't really know. Like, I, I don't hate the front office. I like Tom Thibodeau. I'm just like kind of, I'm kind of torn as to like, what are we doing here? Because now we, we finally have assets to trade and we're not trading them. So, uh, you know, I, that's all I'm really going to say on it. It's, it's just a little frustrating to see someone who was as willing as Donovan Mitchell to play for the Knicks. And then it slipped through their fingers because you don't want to part with, with trade at with, with, with draft capital. And come on. You don't know when that chance is going to come up again. You know, with the state of the Knicks right now, you don't know when there's going to be a guy who says definitively, I want to go to New York. I want to be in New York. Uh, you got to take Speak- that opportunity. They didn't. Yeah. I mean, speaking of New York too, and now I'm hot. So we're going to have to, we're just going to have to carry this right over into the next topic. (laughs) But, you know, going from, you know, two Nick fans that are upset about the the Donovan Mitchell trade. Now we're going into the Yankees seemingly just sucking ass since the all-star break. So, I mean, lately the offense has just been completely inept. Like it, it, it is terrible. Did you see, I'm sure you saw it. You're on Twitter a lot. Did you see that it said that uh, Aaron Judge is going to miss today's batting practice uh, with a sore back from carrying the other 39 players <laughs> on the team? That's roughly 8,000 pounds. I mean, I mean how about like, yesterday? Summed it up. He, he hit the home run and that was it. I mean, like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I usually – I like a tweet that you – right after the All-Star, All-Star break, the uh, trade deadline, you, you tweeted. You said that – you know, it's not Brian Cashman's fault anymore. He got the pieces to make the World Series run, and I agree with that. But is this like the curse of Jordan Montgomery and Joey Gallo? Because Joey Joey Gallo has su- like has made the LA Dodgers even better. You know, not him, but just being on the roster, he's made them even better apparently. And then Jordan Montgomery has turned into Bob Gibson. So, I mean, like, what, what is going on? Yeah, there's there's an element of truth to that tweet because, you know, this was a this was a, an outstanding, I mean, at, at times historic team in the first half. And Cashman, he added everything we needed at that time. Now, I, I should say this tweet was, I think, a day before the deadline. This is before or either a day before the deadline or, or earlier on deadline day. Uh, and it was before the Jordan Montgomery trade, which I we talked about this last month, and I, I found it to be a little, a little weird because it seems like you're you're losing pitching depth when you add on that and putting Sever, Severino on the IL, which wasn't expected at the time. It's what they mm-hmm. did, uh, and it, it's costing them. I mean, now listen, pitching hasn't been the primary issue, but obviously the Cardinals have unlocked something in Jordan Montgomery that the Yankees couldn't, and that that's kind of an organizational issue. Which is which is interesting. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to cut you off, Daniel. Yeah. DT five thousand daily Dan. <laughs> uh, I which is interesting because time and time again we've seen the Yankees trade for someone where we're like, who the hell is that guy? And then they turn him into a Wandy Peralta, Clay Holmes, you know, a Yoeli Rodriguez, guys like that. Where you're just like, well, how the hell did they do this? And now it's interesting to see it on the flip side, where it's like, well, Monty. By the way, but when they traded Monty, he had a better ERA than Garrett Cole. 
So he clearly wasn't the problem, and it was always puzzling to me as to how he was the odd man out out of everyone that the Yankees had. I would have thought that Domingo Herman would have far and away been the odd man out. Uh, it was just strange to me, like, what happened. And, you know, now he's making them pay. They're, he's making them look like a horse's ass, essentially. But um, it's really the offense, because besides for the Yankees losing 9 nothing to the Rays the other day, like, I, they haven't given up many runs. It's just they can't score. They've just been completely anemic on the offensive side of, of, of baseball. It's Aaron Judge, a few home runs sprinkled in by Anthony Rizzo, and then just 50 feet of crap by everyone else. There's, I'm hot today, Dan. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm hot today. I'm glad we started with these these hot-button issues here because it's, <laughs> it's getting you going. But, no, there's a, there's a huge problem with the offense. And, you know, Aaron Judge, to his credit, I mean – Guy, you know, pitchers are pitching around him even more now because of how awful the rest of the offense has been. And he continues to hit the pitches, the the mistakes that he gets, just like he did last night. But look, John uh, Carlos Stanton is hitting something like 150 over his last um, since, since like June 1st, 52 games. You know, I know he had an IL stint in there, and he may not be fully healthy. But whether he's fully healthy or not, that's a huge problem. I mean, you take away this huge element of protection for Aaron Judge. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, you're right. He's been hitting some home runs, and now he's out with a back injury again. Yeah. He's not on the IL, but he's he keeps having to take three or four days at a time. That's a huge issue. Uh, DJ LeMahieu hasn't done much lately after he was hot near the All-Star break. Glaber Torres has been horrific. Yeah. Uh, Ever since – Dude, that, that trade rumor where the Yankees were going to trade him to Miami for Pablo Lopez neutralized him. He's been horrible. Isaiah kinder Falefa can't hit. We know that. Uh, Aaron Hicks <laughs> was actually – I looked at the the – all of all of baseball for the month of August and Aaron Hicks's OPS was I think like bottom three among qualified hitters. And the other two he's, were pitchers. He's <laughs> he's he's been horrendous. Yeah. I mean this this is a this is a this right now this team is Aaron Judge. And that's it. At least on the offensive side. And you can't you can't win like that, no matter how good any player is. You know, you're gonna love this what I say, but when I say this, because you're a big Orioles guy, you're a, a closet <laughs> Orioles fan. Um, well, actually, it's not really. Closeted. I've adopted them as my team this year. Did you did you see did you see that comment that I left under when you uh, when Gunnar Nelson yeah, hit the, yeah. the home run? It was like Dan Orioles content. <laughs> <laughs> but the Orioles brought up throughout the season. They have brought up their top guys, and they have absolutely they have essentially put D ball in a syringe and shot it into the ass of the Orioles. They are, they, it's like they, they are rejuvenated. They are back essentially. Um, you know, it, it's exciting to watch the Orioles again, the Yankees and, and the Yankees did call up as well, Peraza, which is nice. Call them all up, Dan, Dan, I need to see Jason Dominguez up. I need to see Anthony Volpe up. I need to see everyone up right now because it can't get much worse. And, and those, by the way, those three guys bring something to the Yankees that they haven't had all year besides for IKF. And that's some speed. I mean, between the three of them, I think they have over a hundred stolen bases this year between, between the three of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the issue is this team doesn't have an Adley Rutschman or a Gunnar Henderson that the Orioles have, but and for a while I was against the idea of like, okay, we got to hit the panic button and start calling these guys. Panic. Up. You know, Braz has been panic. For, for three months. We've got to get him up here. You know, but now, especially with expanded rosters, but with the way this team is playing now, I, I'm with you. Throw everybody in there. Look, I didn't even mention before. I, I mentioned like five struggling hitters 
and I mean badly struggling hitters, and didn't even mention Josh Donaldson. Oh, has, aside from that walk-off grand slam, has done nothing. Nothing for a month, two months. Whatever. Sound off, man. Nothing. There's nobody There's nobody clicking right now except for Aaron Judge. I mean, you have to do what you can do. Even Oswaldo Cabrera, who, you know, he was called up a couple of weeks ago. His overall numbers, not that great. He's given the Yankees more energy than almost anybody else. You know, he had the, the home run robbing catch in the outfield. He had a great throw. Uh, to home the other day to get, I think, Harold Ramirez out. Yeah, You know, we need guys who can bring some life to this team, bring some energy. You know, if, if Oswaldo Cabrera is out there hitting 230, I don't care if he's playing with that kind of energy that nobody else is playing with. And and defensively, he's not only versatile, but he's been fantastic already. I think I saw something yeah. like his defensive war was already like almost almost one. And that's crazy considering that he's, he's played like 20, 20 games. You know what I'm saying? But – you need a shot in the ass, essentially. I know it sounds funny, but like, you know, the Yankees have prided themselves for a long time of being this fuddy duddy ass franchise with, you know, uh, all this tradition and everything. Let's bring some energy to the Bronx. It's so funny that a funny, a fuddy duddy team plays in the Bronx. Like, the Bronx is one of the most energized places, not only in New York, but like it, in the entire United States. And you got this team that it's like, oh, we're going to go out there and we're going to try our darn tootin' best. And you have and you have Aaron Boone, who has the fakest energy I've ever seen. I mean, like when he's like he like slammed the table, like, come on, dude, like you are a puppet for the organ for the analytical part of the organization. Like you, there is no like, yeah, you could be you could be embarrassed essentially by your team's performance or the one time that we give you an opportunity to make a baseball decision and you screw it up, you know, like, like, yeah, you could be embarrassed, but that's all fake energy. You're trying to get, you're trying to be a rah-rah guy. It's not working anymore, Aaron. You've overstayed your welcome by probably a year and a half at this point. Well, that's why they get stuck in these situations because yeah, I'm going to have to take a nap after after this segment. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 my blood pressure is through the roof right now. <laughs> so let me let me finish us off on the Yankees by saying, this is why the Yankees get stuck in these ruts for so long. You know, every bad team has every good team has bad stretches. No great team has a stretch like this where it prolongs for six weeks like that. But Aaron Boone is a, a good manager when things are going well. Of course. And when things when things are going poorly, this happens. He's got no energy. He's got nothing, no kind of life to him that brings this clubhouse back alive. And that's the reason why, and this is a stat that I, I tweeted, and I, I still think it's fascinating because I tweeted it a few days ago, and it's still true. The Yankees were the first team to 70 wins this year. They were the oh, first I team saw to this. 70. I think it was 70 and 34. They're, they're still at 79. They haven't hit 80 yet. The Dodgers are at 91. First team to 70 wins. This is over a month ago. They're still at 79. The Dodgers have not only hit 80, but they've hit 90. Now 91. It's the Joey Gallo effect. Before the Yankees. It's the Joey Gallo <laughs> effect. But, you know, it, part of it is the Aaron Boone effect because there's nothing that gets this team fired up. They, they hit a walk-off grand slam, didn't motivate them. They won five in a row, you know, against these the A's, and I, I couldn't even tell you who else they beat. Uh, and, and it didn't motivate them. I mean, at least not enough. Because nothing's happening. So, I mean, they're going to be stuck in this indefinitely, I guess. You know, we talked about this about a month ago. And we said, you know, the Yankees were in a, a, a bit of a rut since the All-Star break. But I think at the time, the, like, lead in the AL East was, like, what, nine, ten games, Probably something like that. that. Now we're down to four. And it's not looking good, Dan. 
it's really not looking good. I, I really think that if the Yankees, I mean, I still think because they have such a big lead over the wild card, they will still make the playoffs. But if you lose the division after being up for so long by so many games, that is a Herculean-esque collapse. And it starts at the top. I mean, you I have to set a record. You have to the record. You have to place blame at that point, especially if it's an early exit. Like if you lose in the wild card round, Boone is gone. Like you have to. It has to be gone. They need someone else. And you know, it, it, it's funny because my dad, my dad's an old school baseball fan, and uh, I am to some degree as well. But when the Mets hired Buckshaw Walter. My dad pointed at the TV and he goes, that's who should be managing the Yankees right now. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'd like to see Buck Showalter as the manager. And you know what? Buck has made a couple errors, but I would rather, I said this to my friend who's a Met fan. I said, I would rather Buck Showalter on his baseball knowledge and his merit make a couple mistakes than Aaron Boone flip open the binder and go, oh, well, this guy is, you know, 10 for 876 against this pitcher. And, you know, just go by what the binder says. I'd rather some – I need some baseball decisions. I don't need some some analytical stooge in the, you know, in the dugout. I just – Dan, I, I'm going to go to bed. I, I'm tired. <laughs> That's it for you. <laughs> Put me in there. Come on. Well, um, we got, I got one more headline we got to talk about this week. And there, there were a few headlines, so – a few big headlines, so we're not going to be able to touch all of them, but we have to cover college football playoff expansion, which finally looks like it's I love in it. motion. I love it. Just not going to happen for at least a little while. Of course. Early it's 2024, late it's 2026. It's uh, not that bad, though. It's not that bad. It's not terrible, especially no. if they can manage to do it uh, early. You know, there's also some confusion about does 2026 mean the 2026 season? Because usually they – the playoff that is named yeah, like, is like in the, the first year. playoff was in 2014, but it was named the 2015 college football playoff. Anyway, though, those are semantics. They could be figured out in the future. The college football playoff is expanded to 12 teams. Uh, that's final. That's done. It's actually happening. Uh, not 16, but also not eight. They jumped from four to 12. I like that. I think it's good. I, I Listen, I think a lot of people are resistant to change, and I'm probably one of them. Uh, but in this case, in this case, I think it's great. I mean, you can't have this situation where, you know, only Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and like one surprise team yeah. is in the playoff every year. No, no, you're you're 100 percent right because there have been teams, you know, I mean, like you think of a surprise team last year, like Cincinnati was in, you know, the college football playoffs, and I, I mean, based, pardon me, based off the matchup that they had, they were way overmatched, but. You know, think about Cincinnati in a 12-team playoff. They probably win one or two games before they eventually get bounced out. The only question I have about this that I didn't really do any research on, maybe you have an answer for this, is how how is it going to work? How many teams are going to get buys? Because I I can't see them doing – so basically when you when you go to the championship game, it's what, 14 games essentially, right? Or like 14 or 15 games. Like if you like Georgia played 15 games last year. So like adding one or two more games is kind of a lot like playing 16 or 17 college football games. Like how far is this going to uh, expand into the year? Like, are they going to condense the schedule maybe instead of 
you know, Georgia playing southeastern, southern penitentiary state in week one, where obviously they're going to win 845 to nothing. You know, maybe let's get rid of that game and and make it. You can do that, though, because now that I'm thinking about it, like you can't make the schedule shorter for some teams because you think that they're going to make the college football playoff. Right. Right. But at the same time, like if it stretches for another two weeks, like usually the championship game is the second Monday in January. So at that point, you're talking about if you go week by week, you're talking about like the third week in January. And by then, you know, you're a lot of these prospects are already getting prepped for the NFL draft, you know, their the, the pro days and all that kind of stuff. You're kind of cutting into that time. So is there like um is there like a plan for how many games there are going to be or how many buys like or the top seeds are going to get? Yeah, the the bracket is out, and I I think they haven't said anything about about timing but i i my guess would be that they cut into that that gap in december you know they name the playoff teams usually the first weekend of december and then you don't see them until new year's eve at least uh, i think they're probably going to try to cut into that okay uh, do some bowls i don't know you know maybe a week earlier i guess that kind of cuts into the christmas holiday but but i think they're going to try to to work it into december um but so he, here's what it's going to be it's you know, there's going to be the championship game and the semifinals as normal. Uh, there's going to be the quarterfinals um, at it, in bowl, bowl games. So, you know how like the, the it's like a rotating system of like the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl or whatever. Right. Or the semifinal games. Uh, the, the four quarterfinal games are going to be bowl games as well. They don't know which ones yet. But unless it's unless they they use those for the other New Year's Six bowls, it's going to be like the Georgia Peach Bowl, the uh, you know Flat Tire Amico Bowl, and you know like the. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, they're, apparently, on a rotating basis, they're going to have those four B bowls, and they're also going to be you know at those bowl sites. Naturally, the bowls already have those those stadiums secured and all that. Uh, but the first round, the first round is going to four teams are going to have a bye. So, okay. You know, I guess those would be the four teams that normally would be into the playoff. One, two, three, four. So the first round would be Makes like sense. five, five, twelve, six, eleven, seven, ten, eight, nine. They're going to be at home sites, though. So the five seed will be playing hmm. at home. The six seed like will that. be playing at home. Uh, what they're giving those teams the option, though, is they can play in uh, a, in a dome if they wish. Oh. You know, if it's available, of course, but I guess they would keep it available. They can play, you know, so so if you're in, I mean, Ohio State might not be the best example because they probably like the advantage of playing in the cold. But I guess theoretically, you know, if, it, if you think it's going to be 15 degrees and you're not comfortable having your guys play a playoff game in that kind of environment, uh, you can move it to a dome. Now you said the home team gets to make that decision, the right? It's not, like, it's not like a yeah, collective so, so agreement. If they want to really mess with the, the road team, you know, if you've got like Miami coming in yeah. to play Michigan, you know, sorry, I, if it's ten degrees, I'm I'm letting Miami come in and, and try their their luck with that because you know, if I'm Michigan, we've already got that experience. I like I like that addition because I feel like so many of these like high profile, really really important games are besides for like the SEC ACC championship games are always done on like neutral ground, and the SEC championship was done on essentially neutral ground last year, right? They did it in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. I mean, yeah, that's in Atlanta, but that's a neutral ground, though. You know, like, if if, if we're getting technical. But I, I like that they're starting to give kind of like, kind of feels a little bit more like an NFL feel. 
And I don't know about you. This is just me. But I wholeheartedly enjoy watching college football more than the NFL because I feel like the games are a lot more exciting. I mean, occasionally you get that game like between the Ravens and the Vikings, you know, years, years ago where like there's you know, 35 points scored in the last 20 seconds, you know, stuff like that. But I feel like there's so many games, like even week one, look at this, like yesterday, like North Carolina beat Appalachian State 63-61. Like, what is that? Like, have you ever heard of a, a football score like that? And a lot of people don't like it. I know the older heads don't really like it. Me, personally, when I'm watching NFL football, I like more of a defensive battle, more of like a um, kind of a, a strategic game. But in college football, just let it ride, dude. I want to see like 70 points a game. Like, I, I love seeing teams air it out. I love seeing a wide receiver have like 350 receiving yards in one game. Like, all that kind of stuff. I, I, I like I like the direction that they're going. And I feel like for some, I feel like college football is kind of, you know, like flipping towards the greater good because, you know, now uh, players can get paid, you know, as well. Yeah. What are those, the NIA deals or whatever those, those things are called the NLA, NIL. whatever, yeah, whatever the hell it is. I don't know. <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> and you know, now, now you have an expanded playoff to essentially where it's not just like you said, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and then one other team. Like you can get all areas of the United States in it. Like Utah has a good team this year. Like Texas, you know, like how many, how many college football fans are there in Texas? And what was the last time a Texas-based college football team made the playoffs? I don't think ever. Right? Like I don't think A and M was ever in it. And Texas has been garbage for how long? Texas Tech is trash. TCU like, was robbed in 2014. The first yeah. season they were robbed. They dropped from three to six without playing a game. They were off because there was yeah. no Big 12 championship game. Sorry, I'm ranting now. No, they, go they, ahead. they were dropped for not playing a game because other teams won and leapfrogged them, even though TCU was dominant that year. I think yeah. they went out and won the Peach Bowl like 42 to three or something. Jeez. I think I remember that. Think, but think about it, but think about it like this. Ever. Think about it like this, what you're saying, like, Texas has been trash for how long now? At least the last like 10 years, they've been garbage. Think about if Texas with Quinn Ewers as their, right? He's their quarterback, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. If Quinn Ewers leads this Texas team to like a, a, a 10 and two or 11 and one regular season record, right? And they're just on fire all season and Texas is back. You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously this is, this is like, I'm thinking years in advance. So say like, cause it's, it's not this year. But so like Texas is back, you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine like not only the revenue that that would generate for like the NCAA, but like imagine the feel in Texas of having like a college football team back in the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. Like it gives other regions something to look forward to, like yeah. Florida, Utah. Like I said, Utah's had a good team, some California teams as well. Like it, it gives the better teams that haven't made the playoffs like a real opportunity. So. I'm definitely all for it. I, I like it. I like 12 teams. I was thinking that they were going to do eight, and I still didn't think that that was going to be enough. So I'm, I'm glad that it's 12. It really gives like a nice like variety of different teams. So let me read to you what we would have had last year in this format. And oh, then this, yeah, is, this is so like this, this is the fun of it is that you know of course I think five through 12 none of these teams would have won a championship. Georgia was better than everybody, and Alabama yeah. was better than everybody not named Georgia. You know. We we know this, okay? But it still would have been amazing for these fan bases to see their team win a playoff game. 
um, in this case, in some cases, host a game. I think that's the most fun part of this. Yeah. Game, is that the, you know, the five through eight teams get to host a game. It's kind of too bad for one through four. They, they miss out on that, but at least they get a buy. So here's what we would have had. Five and, five and 12, Notre Dame would have hosted Pitt. Wow. That would have been terrific. I mean, Kenny yeah. Pickett, Kenny Pickett going into Notre Dame in December for a playoff game. Don't small hands, baby. Small hands. Who cares that nobody would have that neither team would have won the title? That's that's I love that one. That would have yeah. been a great. Nice uh, you know, northern matchup. We would have had actually we had this Utah and Ohio State. We had that in the Rose Bowl. That was, was like the game. that was the best game out of play everything pretty much. Now, that would have been played at Ohio State, but that would have been another great matchup. You know, of course, again, I was Ohio State wasn't good enough to win a championship last year, even though they were very good. But still, it would have been a fantastic game. Think about it like this, real quick, just just to play devil's advocate. Once they didn't make the college football playoffs. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jeremy Ruckert were basically like, "Yeah, we're not playing anymore because That's right. now you get now you get an extra game of them at least." Now, now you get now you get Olave, Garrett Wilson with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jeremy Ruckert, and now that's probably the best offense that you're going to see in the college football playoffs. So oh, it adds that element yeah. to it as well. And so seven ten would have been Baylor and Michigan State. Wow, uh, a couple couple upstart programs, you mm-hmm. know, well known programs, but they've kind of had a rejuvenation. Right. Uh, under some new coaches, that one's probably eight. my least inspiring matchup so far. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it would have been. A, I think it could be a close game. Oh, definitely. Last year. Um, and Ole Miss uh, and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State barely missed the playoff just because they barely lost that game against mm-hmm. Baylor uh, to win the Big Twelve. Uh, Ole Miss, you would have seen actually. Matt Corral played the bowl game. He just he got injured. What happened, what happened was he got injured. But you would have seen Matt Corral go into that. You, you would have seen him host that game. Uh, at Ole Miss, which would have been amazing for that program, amazing for Lane Kiffin. Uh, and Oklahoma State would have went in there with a terrific offense and tried to beat him. Every time I, I think of Lane Kiffin now, I think of that. Um, I forget who ran for that long touch. Oh, that like it was last year. Corral threw that long touchdown. And as he's running down the sideline, you just see the clipboard fly up in the air into the into the camera frame. And it was Lane Kiffin being like excited about like the, you know, the, the pass being caught. And he's flung his. <laughs> Clipboard up in the air. I thought you were going to say when they threw the mustard bottle at him at Tennessee. <laughs> I forgot about that actually, but yeah. It, see, those are like really cool matchups. Like you said, Kenny Pickett with his eight-inch hands going into you know Notre Dame. That those are exciting. I definitely would have loved to see. I mean, it doesn't get besides for basically the championship game. It doesn't get bigger than the Rose Bowl. But can you imagine like Utah and Ohio State that game being played in a playoff setting? And say, you know, Ohio State goes CJ Stroud through what, like 400 yards, six touchdowns that game. Like he was incredible. Jackson Smith, the Jigba had like 320 receiving yards. I mean, can you imagine that? And then like them carrying that momentum into another game. I that that's what I'm saying. Like it gives you that much because, like you said, no one was better than Georgia last year. But maybe we would have seen Georgia play against a different team in 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 the final. You know, momentum momentum gives you that much more. So, really, well, really excited. Actually, would have would have went and played Georgia in this scenario because yeah. they would have played the three seed, and Georgia right. was the three. So, I, 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 I really like this, and I hope it, it's sooner rather than later. I hope we see it in twenty twenty four because I feel like you know college football fans are starving for it. But 
we'll see what happens. Now, obviously, we're talking about college football. So let's get into the next segment that we have. We're going to be doing this every week. We're essentially going to be taking five games, I'd say, depending on how good the slate of games is. We're going to be talking about basically the top five games or so from college football. So we didn't get a chance to go over week zero, unfortunately. I mean, there wasn't really too much going on. Really, the the biggest highlight was Nebraska and uh, Northwestern playing in Dublin. That was really, really cool, and it was a great game. But week one, there were a couple big games on the slate. Um, There was a couple – there was one upset. I think – what was it? Um, There was one kind of sort of big one. Whoever Old Dominion played, I think was – Virginia yeah. Tech, that was like a that was a decent sized upset. But I mean, you're gonna get score lines like Alabama, who basically scored 55 points in the first half and then put it on autopilot against Utah State at you know 55 nothing. You're gonna see I someone scored 70 yesterday. I forgot who it was. Uh, you know, these scores are wild, but and today, even Sunday at the time of recording, we have a Sunday college football game between Florida State and LSU. So that's something really, really cool to see. And Florida State is already playing their second game, by the way, which is crazy because that means that they're probably going to have two bye weeks at some point this year. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting as well. I mean, there's really no, you know, <laughs> this is a good scoreline here. You got Oklahoma State beating Central Michigan 58 to 44, you know, classic uh, Mike Gundy shootout, you know. You got there. Shout out to Miami. They scored 70. There we go. That's who it was. I couldn't think of who it was. But a couple good games. Uh, Penn State beat Purdue 35-31. That was a fantastic game. Yeah, that was a really good game. Then um, there was a couple I wanted to talk about. Obviously, I wanted to to talk about my bad beat of the week where uh, Texas A&M was favored by 34 points, 34 and a half points against Sam Houston State. And uh, I bet a significant amount of money on it. And uh, I, I lost. Because I thought for sure that they were going to score more than 34 and a half points against Sam Houston State, but they won 31 to nothing, essentially again playing their starters for like 20 minutes and then just taking everyone out after just scoring 28 points super quick. Michigan dominated Colorado State. Um, NC State this year, I didn't realize that they were ranked as high as they are. They're ranked 13th. Yeah, they have a, a great quarterback who is right up yeah. there with Kenny Pickett, Sam Hartman last year, Devin Leary. But um, the uh, the first week was not very successful for them. They're one and zero, right? You, yeah. you gotta gotta take that. But they barely survived against East Carolina, and I didn't get a chance to see much of that game. But I believe that the kicking was an issue for East Carolina in that game. I think they missed an extra point and a field goal. Um, so looking at it, they missed a forty-one yard field goal that would have won it at so, the end. And I believe they missed an extra point. Oh my god! So. There's one most interesting scoreline of the week, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Ohio State, Ohio State, I'm sorry. (laughs) Iowa. 21 to 10. Very interesting. Iowa and South Dakota State. The final score was 7 to 3. First off, Iowa scoring 7 points, not a touchdown, mind you, against a FCS team, is alarming. They kicked a field goal. And then scored two safeties to get seven points. And that was their only scoring. I mean, if you look at this, this is the most putrid box score like ever. The quarterback for South Dakota State was 10 of 26 for 87 yards. Then you got Iowa, 11 of 25 for 109 yards and and an interception. I I mean, there's literally like four guys on this receiving leaders. 
that have one catch for three yards. Like it, it's, it was just, let's just say the best thing about that game was the tradition where they waved to the children's hospital. Let's just say that yes. that was the, best, the highlight of the game. I'm very disappointed. They got that second safety five to three would have been an amazing score. That would have been amazing. Seven to three looks like they scored a touchdown. I know they didn't, but it looks a little more normal. Five to three yeah. would have been chaotic. I mean, another thing I wanted to bring up too, kind of, we're not really highlighting. There's only really two games to highlight from this slate, but we're seeing a lot of like top 25 teams just kind of barely scrape by in week one. I know that's not really something to be concerned about, but because everyone has rust, of course, this is like the first real game. But, you know, I'm looking at some of these teams here. I mean, uh, Arkansas and Cincinnati was a good game, 19 versus 23. But you got uh, I just saw one that I wanted to bring up. Uh, oh, yeah. Houston beating UTSA by two points, 37-35. You know, I'm going up and down the slate of games, and it, a lot of these games were, were closer than expected for, for these top 25 teams. You know, Utah lost, which is crazy. Utah got, got number seven, so right away they're probably outside of the top ten after week one. Yeah. You know, they lost to Florida. And um, you know me as an as a NFL draft guy. Anthony Richardson's stock went so high yesterday. I mean, it's been apparent that he is one of the, the top, I would say tentatively at the beginning of the season, he is a top 10 quarterback prospect, not top 10 in the draft, top 10 quarterback prospect, but he's got an absolute cannon of an arm. He reminds me a lot of a, uh, a more accurate Lamar Jackson, kind of like, I feel like he's got a bigger arm than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and he's getting some Cam Newton comparisons. You know, oh no, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. But, <laughs> but he no, he he's got he's still gotta put a little bit together with the arm. You know, yeah, last night's line, passing line, I think it was 17 of 24 for 169 yards. Yeah. Pedestrian. Uh but but the, the talent against in the a tough arm, defense, though. Against tough a very tough defense. defense. And what he did on the ground was ridiculous. It was I think it was mm-hmm. eleven carries for 104 yards and three touchdowns. He had an insane touchdown run. Uh, juking out defenders, such a, a dynamic runner. Yeah, absolutely. If he, can, if he can put the passing together completely, yeah, he's, he's going to be one of the top. He's going to be one of the top three prospects. For and it sure. makes you wonder why Florida didn't have, wasn't willing to really put him in last year. Yeah, now, this is why. This is why Dan Mullen was fired. I mean, the the fact that he was on the roster and they they couldn't find a place for him over Emory Jones. I don't know. Not a good look. Yeah. No. Absolutely not. And really. I mean, how good did Georgia look against Oregon? 49-3. 49-3 I mean, against the 11th-ranked team in Oregon. Now, granted, I wouldn't say Oregon is the strongest 11 we've ever seen. I think we could both agree on that, especially with Bo Nix right. at quarterback. I don't really think – did you see some of those throws that he made? I mean, can he read a defense at all, or is he just going in there blind? I mean, he's the second interception that he threw – He's nightmares from, from the SEC. He's got – he's got, he's got he, threw, he, threw it right at the, he threw it right at the linebacker. I mean, that was like a – like I could have went out there and I could have thrown it right at the linebacker if we're, if we're being honest. Really. I probably would have missed him, but <laughs> um, – But, yeah, I mean, there's really not much else to say about that game. 49-3 to basically sure. tells you the entire story. Ohio State and favorites, Notre Dame, right? two top five teams. What? They're the title favorites until further notice again. Oh yeah, even though they're what, what they're ranked, they're ranked two. I mean, Alabama, of course, is always going to be ranked one, but I don't know. It kind of seems like they sort of kind of have Alabama's number, especially after the defensive performance they put in 
uh, against them in, in the national championship game. And you might think, well, you know, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, Nicobe Dean, all these guys are gone. But don't forget that they have Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo. You know, they have a ton of oh, Nolan, Nolan Smith. Three first round, that's three first-round picks already on their defense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, tremendous defense. They just keep pumping out fantastic defensive players. And it's so funny because, you know, you still got someone like Stenson Bennett who, like, is, is pretty good. I'm not, I'm not going to say that he's going to be an NFL quarterback, but he's a perfectly good college quarterback. He's a Kellen Moore to me, like perfectly good college quarterback. Right. Not really going to translate to the NFL, but he knows what it takes to win. And he knows that he doesn't really have to do too much to win. Um, it's crazy to me. Uh, what's their tight end? They have three tight ends on their roster that are absolutely insane. I forgot um, their number one tight end on their roster that is definitely going to be a first-round pick when he's eligible. It's Arik Gilbert. Uh, however you pronounce his first name. Yes, yes. I mean, Georgia is just absolutely loaded with talent. I mean, so is I mean, Alabama is always going to be loaded with talent. You think they have Eli Ricks? Um, they have Brian Branch in the backfield. Jordan Battle. Those are three potential first round picks right there. Uh, Henry Toa Toa as well. They have a really like solid defense as well. But I think it's until further notice. Honestly, it's just going to be Georgia versus Alabama pretty much every single year. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so, and I think. I think if you want to transition over to Ohio State, they kind of proved that too last night. That, you know, even though they were missing Jackson Smith and Jigba for most of the game, defense had a great night. Uh, they they did not come out looking like a Georgia or an Alabama last night. And mm-hmm. I, what are they, the third ranked team in the nation? Is yeah. That, do I have that correct? Uh, actually, I think so, yeah. Second. They might be second. But they don't, yeah, they're, they're ahead of Georgia actually on the, in the AP. Which poll. is crazy. Uh, they don't belong there. <laughs> Listen, they're, they're, they could be a, they're probably a playoff team. They're a great team. It, it really does look like this is Alabama and Georgia and then everybody else right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, I don't think that Notre Dame played bad. They were just so flat on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I mean, you know, Ohio State has a decent defense, but to hold them to 21 points, you know, that gives you a good opportunity to win, especially, you know, with the, the offensive firepower that Notre Dame possesses, especially, you know, you got probably the tight tight end one in the nation, Michael Mayer, as well. You know, it, you, you got good players on offense. So, I mean, we can't really put too much stock into it. It's week one. You know what I'm saying? These teams are obviously going to get better as the season goes on. So... I'm not really going to go too far in depth into it because, like, there's really not too much to go off of. But, um, you know, uh, 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 top 25 teams, a few of them didn't perform as well as we thought they were going to. But that's just how it is. That's college football. So, And a lot of better matchups I've noticed this week one than week one's prior. Like, there was a lot more appealing matchups. Usually, like I said before, it's like, you know, you got a, you got the mean machine from the longest yard – is that the longest yard? Yeah, the longest yard going up against Alabama. Like, yeah, you know, week one, same thing, but some tune-up games. Even Alabama's week one game against Utah State. Like, Utah State is is not a great team, but they're not an FCS team, you know? So uh, I like seeing the the better some some better games being played in week one. I'm I'm just excited for this for this entire season. Honestly, I, I'm I'm sure you are too. But uh, and we saw the results too. These were some. Really great games, and you know, even a couple we didn't talk about: West Virginia and, and Pitt. Yeah, uh, which was the first time those two former rivals. I guess you know, 
they revisited their rivalry after 11 years. First time they played together since 2011. Had an outstanding game. Yeah. Uh, Pitt, Pitt pulled ahead on a, on a late pick six. Uh, Acroshore Stadium, formerly known as Heinz Field, looked like it was about to cave in with the way fans were celebrating that. It was really good to see that rivalry back. That was a, yeah. a phenomenal game. And uh, the other one I, I have to mention, I know you mentioned it earlier, but just got to bring it up. The App State, North Carolina, 63-61 game. Oh, my God. I guess that would have to be the game of the week. App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter and lost. 40 points in the fourth quarter and lost. I don't know the, the stats on how often that's happened and a team has lost, but I would have to think it probably hasn't before. It's got to be in the single digits, I'll tell you that, if, it, if, if it's happened before. Uh, incredible. And I, I saw uh, one comment that I thought was really funny under your – your post about that game was, I thought, I thought college basketball was over. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was really funny, but that's what I'm saying. Like the last point I'll make about it is this is just how exciting college football can be. You know, you're not going to see a 63, 61 game in the NFL. It's just not going to happen because obviously you've got the best of the best. Now, you know, there are some games where teams get blown out. Of course, you're not going to see a back and forth shootout like that. So um, glad to see college football back. I actually didn't really even get a chance to watch any college football, so I was a little upset about that, but super excited to watch the rest of the season. Now, Dan, the moment that a lot of people have been waiting for is finally upon us. The NFL season is back, and we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. And obviously, are we? I put the sunglasses back on if you guys – you guys can't see, but I put the sunglasses back on for this because my eyes hurt. But – Obviously, our in-depth analysis, quote-unquote, on week one is not going to be as in-depth as weeks, you know, week two through 18 because we haven't seen anything yet. And even then, you know, a week two analysis, I, I feel like we'll really start getting deeper and deeper into the games as like maybe week three, week four, when we start to see, you know, exactly what these teams are about, start to get a couple matchups in, you know, shake the rust off. but. Week one is exciting. Obviously, we talked about it in the first minute. The first game of the season between the LA Rams and the Buffalo Bills is a probably as close to a potential Super Bowl matchup as we've seen in some time. So uh, I'm really excited about that one. I made the mistake of drafting like three Rams on the same team by accident. I was I was drafting while I was at work. So I was just kind of like my phone was on the back of the truck as I'm like staring down into the manhole and then I'm like, oh shit, my pick is up. And I'm just like, yeah, Cam Akers. And I'm like, yeah, Matthew Stafford. And I'm like, yeah, Alan Robinson. And I'm like, oh my God, why do I have so many Rams on my team? But um, yeah, super excited about this matchup. I, as you have adopted the Baltimore Orioles as like your team for this year, I feel like I have never been so excited to see the Buffalo Bills play football as I am this year. I'm uh yeah no I I'm super excited to see Josh Allen come out and see what he does after that playoff disappointment last year and obviously the the fascinating part of it is it was completely not his fault it was the defense's fault but yeah. you know he's feeling the sting of that game I mean I, even I'm feeling the sting of that game and I'm not a Bills fan mm-hmm. so you know you know he's going to come out with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder uh, but you know the Rams are too I mean they they're a team that. Uh, Matthew Stafford's been doubted his entire career. He finally went out and won a championship, and you know he's hungry for another one. And you know now he's got Allen Robinson at his disposal. They've brought all that star talent back. Uh, Don't forget Bobby Wagner. 
Bobby Wag Bobby Wagner's back. You know, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are still there. This is a team. A Cooper Cup, of course, is still there. This is a team that fully expects to run it back uh, and be be in firmly in the mix to win another title. Uh, but you could say that this is the Bills are the favorite in the NFL. I, I think yeah. technically they're the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl, and I know a lot of people have different opinions on that. Uh, but I, I think there's a good case to be made that this is the two. These are the two best teams in the NFL entering the season. It never turns out that the two the teams we think are the two best at the start of are the never. season play each other at the end of the season. Never. So it's probably not going to happen. But as of now, this is about as good as you can get uh, from opening night matchup. The NFL got lucky, a little bit lucky, because the Bills and Rams were slated to play each other this year. Two An an AFC and NFC team uh, playing each other. You know, I think what they – now you play – it used to be four. Now it's five games against the opposing conference. So you play five of the 16 teams in the opposing conference. The NFL was fortunate that the, the scheduling cycle worked out, out this way. I think this is the clear one they had to pick for week one. Uh, but it's a terrific week one matchup. It's better yeah. than last year with the Cowboys and Bucks. You know, as good as that was, yeah. You know, this this takes it to another level. Well, I think we also get to run we also get to run that back this year too, because that's that's the Sunday night game. But yeah, we, yeah, we right away. Yeah. And um, you know, I especially like this matchup because this is basically the number one passing offense from last year against the number one pass defense. And that I, I love seeing matchups like that because then you really, really get to see what team it is is kind of better, I want to say. Obviously, you could have an off night, but I'm pretty sure the Bills gave up like something ludicrous. It was like 155 passing yards, like a game or, or like something really, really low. So, you know, Tredavious White isn't playing the first four games of the year. It's going to be interesting to see how that second is going to see. It's going to be interesting to see how Kair Elam kind of takes over as that number one uh, until further notice. I feel like he will be the number one. Um, you know, they're going to have to keep the Rams in check. It's not going to be easy because, you know, you got Cooper Cup on the field, and whenever Cooper Cup is on the field, you know, you're at least scoring 30 points a game. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not going to give predictions because uh, if you guys are interested, by the way, and I'm glad that I thought about this now, uh, Dan and I are hosting a ASN podcast pick'em group on the ESPN Fantasy app. So if you guys are listening right now and you guys are interested in joining that group and you haven't already, please reach out to us on whatever it may be, Twitter, uh, Instagram. If you guys have either of our numbers, feel free to reach out. We will send you a link, no problem. We are super excited to get that going. We don't have many participants yet. I think we only have like five out of like 64 or something like that, but uh, I also haven't put it on Twitter yet, so Dan, I will be putting it on Twitter today. And I feel like Twitter is, I, you know, real quick side note, it's a testament to how great that you are that you got all that engagement and all those followers on Instagram because it is literally impossible to get engagement on Instagram. So hats off to you, sir. But uh, yeah, going to put it on Twitter, which is far and away the better social media app in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully we will get more participants, but 64 people, you guys get a chance to beat us, the experts, quote unquote, which will probably finish like 63rd and 64th <laughs> in the group, which is probably how it'll, it'll end up, but it should be a good time, but I'm not, we're not going to give predictions here. Kind of just combing through what we think the matchups are going to be. Like we said, we're not going to go too far in depth with it for week one, because we haven't seen any of these teams play, but I really think that the Rams and the bills has the potential to not only be a super bowl matchup later on in the year, but be the best matchup of the first week. Yeah, I think we're going to see, you know, usually teams start slow um, mm-hmm. on the offensive side. Usually you see some defense week one, week two. 
I think you're going to see some points yeah. in this one. Obviously, you know, the, both both teams have star talent on the defense, but I really think that Matthew Stafford and Josh Allen are going to come out with a little chip on their shoulder. They've got this great offense built around both of them. Both have star receivers. Both have solid offensive lines. I think you're going to see some points in this game. You're going to see yeah. some fireworks. Uh, I'm very excited to see Allen Robinson. I know you mentioned drafting him uh I don't know whether drafted, it's drafted everyone. Whether intentionally all or not, the Rams. drafted Allen Robinson. I, I think you're going to be rewarded. I really do think he's going to have a bounce back here with the Rams. Better offense, you know, more motivated. Uh, he's, he's got Cooper Cup on the other side. Obviously, defenses are going to have to pay extreme close attention. To and Cooper Ben Cup. Jefferson. And Tutu and Atwell ben, while we're at ben it. Too. And when they inevitably bring back uh, Odell Beckham Jr. in November. <laughs> they've been teasing it all summer so you know you got a feeling it's going to happen but Absolutely. I, I, really, I do think Alan Robinson's going to have a big year wouldn't be surprised if he comes up and, and does something big on Thursday night yeah I, I well listen I'd be extremely happy to see that because I'm basically forced to start him at this point but uh, moving on I, I'm just going through my my ESPN app and the Jets are my favorite team on ESPN so that's the first game that pops up besides through the Bills and Rams so I guess we'll just go uh, to the Jets and the Ravens and uh, I don't I've kind of been out of it when it comes to NFL news the past few days because the off shifts that I'm working but have we gotten an update on Zach Wilson he's not playing week one right yeah, this looks like it's Joe Flacco's team week one. so right away we have teased this for weeks ever since Zach Wilson got injured You guys know what I feel about this. I think that Joe Flacco is going to have his revenge game against the Ravens. I think that the Jets actually come out week one and they beat the Ravens. I know we weren't going to do predictions, but I just had to get that out there because it's such a crazy statement to even say, especially with basically a healthy Ravens team that we didn't see healthy at all last year. You know, you think of J.K. Dobbins, uh, Lamar Jackson was hurt for uh, a decent chunk of the season, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. You know, now their defense is that much better, too. They added uh, Marcus Williams. They added Kyle Hamilton through the draft as well. I mean, their their team, especially secondary, is pretty much loaded. So um, it's going to be interesting to see not only how they play in week one, but just throughout the course of the season. Same thing with the Jets. The Jets have one of the youngest rosters in the NFL, probably the youngest roster in the NFL, especially when it comes to starters. So you think of how many starters the Jets have on their roster that are probably 23 years or younger old. And it's it's crazy. I mean, right right in the the wide receivers, you have Garrett Wilson, you have Elijah Moore, uh, you have Brees Hall or Michael Carter, whoever comes out as the starting running back are both extremely young. Zach Wilson, when he comes back, you know, it, it's, I think this team is going to go through growing pains this year, but I think we're going to get a couple, going to get a couple surprise wins out of them. I think the Jets are a much better team than people give them credit for. There's just one factor that plays the biggest part in this, and that's the development of Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson can develop as we think he's going to develop, I could easily see the Jets winning seven or eight games this year and surprising a lot of people. But if we get the Zach Wilson of last year or he even regresses, you know, once April comes around or May, we could be talking about the Jets having a great team but missing a franchise quarterback. So this is a, a, a very, very pivotal year, not only for Zach Wilson, but for the Jets franchise and Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. Yeah, it's a, This is a roster of NFL players now. They, they have legitimate pros at every position. And you can see that when I think, what, seven Jets were claimed off waivers yeah. after final roster cuts. The Bills were next with four. You know, they, they've they've built a roster really deep 
uh, with a lot of NFL caliber talent, not so much star talent yet. That's that's a problem in the AFC, but they've got NFL caliber talent. Uh, now, wouldn't it be such a Jets thing after all we've said for them to come out and lose like 49 to 14 against the oh, Ravens? That's Lamar what Jackson expecting. has like a record setting performance. Dude, that's what I'm expecting. I say that they're going to win, but they're in in reality they're going to lose by like 60. You finally get some hope, and you know that like something like that's going to happen. So <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna say they're going to win, but I I, I, I do think there's the potential for this to be close, especially yeah. if Joe Flacco plays like they keep saying he's been playing in training camp. We'll see. Now let me ask you. Now let me ask you the question that probably every single Jet fan or everyone around the NFL is thinking. Now, obviously a hypothetical. Say Joe Flacco goes out and he fucking torches the Baltimore Ravens, throws 300 plus yards, four touchdowns, looks fantastic, has a Mike White-esque performance against the Cincinnati Bengals last year. Is there any, like, hey, Zach, you know what? Take another week off. Your knee is still sore. Is there any doubt creeping into anyone's mind or is this still Zach Wilson's team? I think you you have to give Zach Wilson the chance to prove himself, no matter what. Look, mm-hmm. if he's not 100%, then don't bring him back for week two. Yeah. But I think that was already the plan. I think they're not going to bring him back till he's 100%. So do you uh, think that, that that will, like, kind of make the decision for them, say, like, if he has some soreness, but he could definitely play, but then Joe Flacco goes out and even if they lose, has a great game. That makes their decision that much easier, right? Where it's like, all right, well, Joe's just going to run it back for week two. And then no. you come back, you know, week three or whatever. I think I think they stick to the plan. I think if the plan was to wait till he's 100%, I think the wait till he's 100%. I just can't see somebody like Joe Flacco, even after a good game or two. I can't see somebody like that usurping Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson comes out and plays eight games and he's awful, I can see word, him going to Joe way. Flacco. You never so, know. You're, you're like a walking th- th- <laughs> if he If he comes out and he's awful for for eight games or whatever it is, I, I listen, go to Flacco, whatever. But I, I think they owe it to themselves to give Zach Wilson a shot. Yeah, I, I agree with no that. No matter what. No matter what. Yeah, I, I think that that's a um, – I think it's a matchup in week one that's being overlooked. It's kind of like, ah, oh, the Ravens are going to wipe the floor with the Jets. But – you know, we've seen we've seen years prior the Jets play in week one and surprise a lot of teams. You think when um they beat the Tampa Bay Bucks with Geno Smith in week one years ago, you know, they and another year with Geno Smith, they scored 48 points against the Bills in week one. Like, you know, the, the Jets come out and they're a real they're a decent week one team. I mean, last year they fell flat on their fate. No, not last year, two years ago. Um, they played the Bills in week one, and it was like on autopilot for the Bills, and they easily scored 35 points. But, you know, last year was a decent performance for Zach Wilson. Probably, probably, besides for the game against the Titans, his best performance of his rookie year was in week one. So uh, I think the Jets are going to come out with a lot of energy, and I, I think that they have a legitimate shot to upset the Baltimore Ravens. Then the next game, pretty uninspiring. Uh, but I will leave you with one interesting anecdote where it's the Saints and the Falcons. And right away, everyone's going to write off the Falcons, possibly being the most likely to be winless this year. I don't think that – I think the Atlanta Falcons are a horrendously built team. But I don't think that a Marcus Mariota-led team is going to be winless. He's a perfect game manager to the point where he's there's going to be one or two games where he just doesn't turn the ball over and throws 250 yards and the defense plays well enough to win. Um 
I got to be honest with you. I kind of think that the Falcons come out and punch the Saints in the mouth with this one. We've seen time and time again, bad teams come out in week one and somehow win. You think two years ago when the Jackson, didn't the Jacksonville Jaguars beat like the, uh, they did. They beat, they beat in week know. one, the Colts, right? No, and then they lost the, the, they the, run of the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you think of, of teams like that where it, don't be surprised if Marcus Mariota comes out, throws for 300 yards against this pretty decent Saints defense. And the people are like, well, wait a minute. Is Marcus Mariota the answer at quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons? Obviously, we love those headlines like that. And obviously, and if, obviously, if this happens, that's literally a point that we're going to be bringing up next week where it's like, well, Marcus Mariota threw for, you know, 300,000 yards and, uh, you know, what are they going to do with him? But um, the Saints, I feel like, are a team that are a franchise quarterback away from being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm not I'm not overthinking this game. I, I actually I think I think Jameis Winston is enough uh, to beat the, the Falcons. And that's a certain the, way to put it. <laughs> you know, but I mean, look. First of all, Jameis Winston, Week One, Jameis Winston, he yeah. was terrific last year in Week One when they beat the Packers. Uh, he also had a very strong NFL debut in 2015 in week one. I, I can't tell you about the rest of his week ones, but <laughs> as far as I know, he's a pretty solid week one quarterback. Um, I, you know, the Saints went in and beat the Falcons by 10 in Atlanta uh, weeks, week 18 last year. The Falcons got worse. Saints got better because their roster got better and they did not have Jameis in that game. They had this weird medley of Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. Uh, I think I think the Saints are, are. I think the Saints are too talented here. I just I don't think the Falcons are up to it. The Falcons don't have the defense uh, to really contain these weapons. Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, if he even plays, Chris Olave. Oh, I don't think I don't think Alvin Kamara is playing. Right? Isn't he suspended? He's not suspended. He will be at he's some not? point, but he's not suspended. I could have sworn he was suspended for six games because you know the NFL loves to give out six game suspensions. No, not but... yet. Oh man, I could have sworn that he was suspended because he went. Quick side note, he went like in the third or fourth round in most of my drafts. That's why I was like, oh, so he must be missing some time if like if if he's going that low. That's really surprising. Yeah, I could have sworn that at some point, but not yet. I could have sworn I saw an all sports news update where it said Alvin Kamara was was you know suspended for six games. But, no, but then again, did see, I did see a, a Saints player in legal trouble this week because Marcus May, former Jet. Dude, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with him. Never had off the field problems, and this is like the third time he's been arrested in like a year. Apparently, he pointed a gun at some teenage girls in a car. So you can't do that. That'll that'll get you in trouble. So he'll probably. I I don't know. I think they were being babies about it. If we're being honest, uh, (laughs) gotta hear both sides, right? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, you're not overthinking. Uh, Saints Falcons. I of course have to play devil's advocate and be like, well, you know, the Atlanta Falcons have, have a chance, and then inevitably, inevitably they'll get blown out fifty-six to nothing, and I'll look hey, like an ass. We've seen the, you know, you mentioned the Jaguars. They came out. Uh, I think, I think two years ago, the uh, the Washington football team came out week one and had this big. Dwayne Haskins led this big comeback against the Eagles. Not mm. that the Eagles were good that year, but the Washington was terrible. So you never know; these things yeah. happen week one. That's true. Um, Next game on the slate, we don't have to. This is definitely one that we don't have to overthink. The 49ers and the Bears. I mean, if there's a team that could rival worst roster in football to the Atlanta Falcons, it's the Chicago Bears. So I think that's all we need to say about that, especially like I have high hopes for Trey Lance because he seems like a type of guy that's that's just a, a gunslinger. 
You, you know, he's just going to get back there. And he reminds me of a Matthew Stafford type player, not saying he has the talent, where it's like, you know what? I, I threw three interceptions in this game, but I'm still going to get back there and I'm just going to cock it and, and launch it down the field. I like that kind of style of play. We've seen it work. I mean, you think of Brett Favre was like that too. Matthew Stafford's a gunslinger type player. I, I think I think um, Trey Lance is going to lead this 49ers team to the playoffs one way or another because if Jimmy Garoppolo can do it, Trey Lance can do it. Now, I know that that's a, that's a biased opinion because I do not like Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he's incredibly handsome. I think he's made a lot of money. Good for him. But I think that Trey, Trey Lance is a way more talented quarterback than – um, Jimmy Garoppolo was. And not only that, he adds a certain element to the game. He's very mobile as well. So I think that defenses are going to have a tough time containing Brandon Ayuk, uh, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, Danny Gray, George Kittle, and then having to, you know, try and contain Trey Lance as well. So uh, this might be the biggest blowout of the week. I'm just going to go out there and say it. I, th- I think this is similar, a similar situation to uh, James Winston and the Falcons. You know, Trey Lance, unproven. We don't know what we're going to get for him. I think I think everything you said is true. I think that's the type of player he is. Uh, but against the Bears, should be fine. He can yeah. he can make mistakes. Yeah. You know, I'm all out on the Bears. The Bears, I think they went out and claimed like a billion players after final roster cuts, including a bunch of offensive linemen. They know that they the need help. Stop. They know that their roster is not in good shape. They know that Justin Fields, who played very well in the preseason, I'll give him that. They know he's not going to have adequate protection. Uh, you know, with Nick Bosa on the other side. I'm out. I'm out on the Bears this week. I think I'm out on them for the season. That's it for that game. Fair enough. Then uh, we get a night, a really nice divisional matchup here: Steelers Bengals. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I would be much more excited about this matchup if Kenny Pickett was starting Week One. Yeah. Well, it's not official yet. We don't know. I don't think Trubisky's been named the starter, but I do expect that. Um, I think that would be crazy if, like. Knowing Mike Tomlin and some of his like interesting antics, if they just go into Sunday morning and it's like, yeah, we haven't named anyone yet, and then they just like send Kenny Pickett out there at one o'clock, and you're like, oh shit, like, that's that, what that. that's what everybody thought the Chargers did with Justin Herbert for about ten minutes. Do you remember when he went yeah. out week two? You know, because uh, Tyrod Taylor ended up with like I think they there was a, a it was an acupuncture yeah, was accident. They, they, they like blew. I don't, I, listen, I couldn't even. I don't even remember what it was. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything that's false. But they they had a, a medical mishap with him before the game with an injection, and uh, and Justin Herbert comes out like completely unexpectedly and just gets in the huddle on the first play, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, Anthony Lynn and the Chargers!" Just and then like lights it up with the Chiefs. I think it was the Chiefs they played. Yeah, and then he lit it up, and he lit it up, and they almost won. I think they went to overtime. Yeah, uh, and they and they ended up losing, which is you know a very Chargers. Chargers well, they I, I I'm pretty sure they actually jumped out to a decent sized lead, and then yeah, of course, well, in, like you said, in typical Chargers fashion, they yeah, lost. The Chargers. <laughs> but every everybody thought that we got played, and he put Justin Herbert out there. It turned out not to be the case. But uh, imagine, yeah, I could I could I could see Mike Tomlin coming out and doing that with Kenny Pickett. But is this you know, game? This, is this not, game? It's this, at this is like a uh, one here. No, it's at since okay. All right, I was going to say, because I just checked, it's in Cincinnati. Yeah. So I was going to say, if this game is in Pittsburgh, I 100% think that Kenny Pickett is going to come out to the huddle, and the place <laughs> just goes bananas. But um, obviously that's not the case. They're in Cincinnati, so he'll get booed to death if he comes out. But um, interesting. The Steelers had an interesting offseason. 
to the point where I think they made some great draft picks and some great signings, but they didn't really fill as many holes as I would like them to, especially with the money that they had with the draft picks they had. You know, you think some of their great draft picks, you got Kenny Pickett, you have uh, George Pickens, you have uh, DeMarvin Leal, who they drafted as well. You know, they got a, a lot of decent value for their picks. And then they went out, they signed Mason Cole, they signed James Daniels. But that secondary still kind of worries me. You know, they're on the older side. I think Joe Hayden's it's, it's still unsigned, right? I, he didn't he didn't sign with yeah. anyone. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really know what to expect from that cornerback group. But this is a division where you're going to need a good secondary. Minka Fitzpatrick cannot cover everything. You know, I, it, it, I'm kind of worried about Pittsburgh in that sense. And the same thing with their run defense. Um, you know, I spoke about it with Jordan York briefly, if that's what you want to call it, briefly, last week um, about their run defense. And uh, he didn't really offer any suggestions on how they were going to get better than the 32nd ranked rush defense last year because they didn't really do anything to get better on, on that end. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what exactly happens there. I think I, I honestly, this is me being like a, like, like looking into the tape too much, but I think they have the personnel to run a four, three and they're just not doing it because of TJ Watt. Honestly, TJ Watt gets so much pressure from the outside linebacker position that if they put him as a defensive end, I don't think he'll get as much pressure. Same thing with uh, Casey Hayward. It just gets so much pressure from that middle spot on the defensive line. If you shift him over to be a three tech, I, I don't think he's going to get as much pressure. So I think that's the problem. I think they have too much space on the defensive line and they just refuse to kind of like, you know, deal with it. Just like I said, just me being looking into tape too much, but uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I think that we're going to see a better version of the Bengals this year because of the upgrade at the offensive line. So think about it like this. Joe Burrow obviously had the best season of his career last year. And so did Joe Mixon. So you add a potential top 12 offensive line to the Cincinnati Bengals, and automatically it makes me think that they're going to get that much better, especially with the additions that they made in the secondary as well. I know Eli Apple is back, but besides that, you know, it looks pretty good. Dax Hill, fantastic, versatile player that they added in the first round. You know, you think he could play safety, he could play slot corner. Right then and there, that kind of eliminates Eli Apple because you have uh, – Chidubo Awuzie on one side, and then you have Mike Hilton on the other side, and then you have, you know, Dax Hill playing corner. So as as long as they – my key to winning this game for Cincinnati is as long as they keep Eli Apple off the field, they have a legitimate shot at winning. My – I mean, on paper, they should be better, right? You know, yeah. they, they, they kept the same defense too, same defensive coordinator. They really just upgraded the offensive line and called it a day, which is all they needed to do. Uh, I, I would say – Listen, you know I'm not very high on the Steelers this year. <laughs> it still would not shock me at all if they came out and had this surprise week one win. They did the same thing last year. They beat the yeah. Bills week one. There's still no explanation for it other than <laughs> other than the Bills weren't ready and the Steelers were. Other but, than the Mike Tomlin effect. Yeah, I mean maybe there's a maybe there's a scenario where, you know, the Bengals are are still trying to find their feet, you know, get their feet under them after last year, find their rhythm. Uh, and the Steelers like a like every Mike Tomlin team come out very well prepared, yes, uh, to do something week one against a very good team. I, if it was in Pittsburgh, you're right. I think the story would be different. It'd be a lot easier to pick them. I think the line would be a lot closer than the six and, six and, a, half. and a half. But 
it, it, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if I listen. The the Steelers got torched by the Bengals twice last year, so maybe I'm just like out of line saying that this game is going to be close. But I don't. God, know. Dan, you're overthinking it. We could, I, I probably am though. But we've won <laughs> Mike Tomlin. You never know. Yeah. You never know. No, it could happen. I, I agree. It's like the Jets. The Jets are like undefeated all, all time uh, on Week One. Don't. You don't have to look it up. Just trust me on that one. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to take your word for it there. Yeah, thank thank you. I appreciate it. Just lost all, all credibility for anything I've ever said on this podcast by saying that. But, um, yeah, I, I think it, this is one of the most 50-50 matchups, I think, that's on the slate for week one. Because, like you said, it's just week one Mike Tomlin, and then you have the Bengals, who possibly are coming in off of a Super Bowl hangover. So you don't know. Uh, next game, another interesting one. Last year, this game was not interesting. The Eagles absolutely demolished the Lions last year. Different Lions team. 100% a different Lions team. But on the flip side, also a very different Philadelphia Eagles team. So I, I do think that the Eagles have the upper hand on this one, no doubt. I mean, I think that they are the most improved team in the NFL throughout the course of the offseason and the draft. I mean, you look at the players that they've added – the talent that they've added across the board. I think that the Eagles have a legitimate shot. This might sound crazy, and sure, maybe I'll make this a YouTube short, but I think the Eagles have a legitimate shot at being a dark horse Super Bowl contender out of the out of the NFC. They have a championship roster outside of the quarterback. So you're not that far-fetched because you could say, hey, look, Jalen Hurts is going to take a big step forward this year with the better group around him. Uh, and – you know, he's got A.J. Brown on top of Devontae Smith now. You could say, look, he, he was – yes, he's got his issues and he's not a perfect quarterback, but he's going to take a big leap with this group. And he's, he's of course, a huge threat on, on the ground. He's oh, yeah. one of the most mobile quarterbacks probably in NFL history. Um, I'm not really of the belief that he's going to make a big leap. I, I Some of the – You think he's hit his ceiling already? I No, I don't think he's hit his ceiling. I think he's going to take a step forward. I think he has to. I think the team around him is better. And, look, he, yeah. he looked – he looked better at – okay, you, you know how we played in garbage time last year, right? If yeah. you can play like that in garbage time, you probably can put a little bit of it into regular time. You know, there's no, something it's, there. It's like Blake Bortles that one year where he threw 35 touchdowns. 25 of them were in garbage time. You know, <laughs> there, like, There's something there that you can unlock, obviously. But uh, I think he's, he's probably too limited as a passer to win them a championship, to make a deep playoff run. But the roster they built around him is so good. It's so championship ready. That I do think they, I think they win the division over Dallas. Yeah, I think Maybe so. Maybe I'm too. crazy, but I, I think they win the division. No, no. Over I mean, then we're both crazy because I think that that's 100. Yeah. It. So, but I, I have to say this: this is this is a, one of the week one games I'm really looking forward to. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty high on the Lions. I, I, Me too. Of course, I rank the Eagles much higher than the Lions. It's just this: de- the Lions' defense is not very good, and I think that's going to be an issue against Jalen Hurts. Better, but it's not better. good. But but the offense they built uh, probably a top five off- offensive line in yeah. this sport. I, I'm I'm very excited to see Jameson Williams when he comes back. Maybe even October. You know, probably November at the latest. You know, on the flip side of it, this might be one of the best offensive line matchups that we've seen that we're going to see all yeah. year because the yeah, Eagles definitely. have a fantastic offensive line as well, and also added Cam Jurgens to that offensive line. People forget about that, but. You know, you're getting a healthy offensive line. Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Jonah Jackson, 
You know what I'm saying? This is a very, very healthy offensive Penny line. Sewell played much for, better as yeah. the year went on last year. For, for the Detroit Lions, this is a very, very healthy offensive line unit. DJ Chark, when Jameson Williams comes back, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, TJ Hawkinson, Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift. I've said it before on this podcast. I'll say it again. Jared Goff is not a quarterback that will make the team around him better. But if you give him the players, he will perform. I, I, I could easily see Jared Goff having a 32 to 9 interception, a touchdown to interception ratio this year, just with the players that they have around him. You know, we saw when he was in that loaded offense in the Rams, how, how, how good he was. If you build it, he will come. And that's that's basically what they have done this year. He played very admirably last year with a bottom five offense, essentially. You know, he definitely yeah, earned his he definitely earned him himself another crack at it this year to be considered to have his $30 million option picked up after this year. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Jared Goff is the quarterback of the Detroit Lions for the next two years after this. It's definitely not. But um, I do think the Eagles do pull this out because I just think that they have an overall better team. But I think that this is going to be a hell of a lot closer than the 44-6 to trouncing that we saw last year. Yeah, I could see the Eagles escaping with the win. You know, yeah. it really comes down to the fourth quarter. Dan Campbell's guys are fighting hard like they always do. They're, they're eating they, knees. They're eating they're kneecaps. Fighting kneecaps uh, <laughs> but they come up just short. Now, I don't think that's going to be the story of the year for the Lions. I think they're going to actually win some of those games like they started to last year. This just might not be one of them. I think the Eagles yeah. are, are that talented from top to bottom. That I, I agree with you. Them. But if they come out and they, they play a close game and they're really in it in the fourth quarter, I think you have to take it as a moral victory. And yeah. you, you know, you got 16 games after that. It, it's it's something to build off of if that if that's Absolutely. the case. No, I, I I agree with you on that one one hundred percent. And um the Lions and the Vikings by a large margin last year, led the NFL in uh, single score losses. So, like you said, I think it's going definitely going to change this year. Uh, am, I, am I keeping you from sleeping, Dan? Are you okay over there? <laughs> I, I shouldn't complain either. You're the one who should be tired. <laughs> Moving on to um, the Patriots and the Dolphins. And uh, last year, this was an interesting week one matchup. We did see the Dolphins come away with the victory that was not expected over the Patriots last year. I know it was a 17 to 16 game. It was pretty boring. Typical Bill Belichick football. Um, I think it's a different story this year. I think I think that the Patriots have a very poorly constructed roster. I I think that they will miss the postseason by a large margin. And I think that they will be under 500 by either 7 and 10 or 8 and 9. I'd, the report came out that they're basically the backbone of this offense is Mac Jones. That should tell you all you need to know about what's going to happen offensively this year. The Dolphins, obviously, another vastly improved team from last year. Um, the Dolphins last year had a rough shake of it. They started 1 and 7 and ended up eight, uh, 9 and 8. So they missed the playoffs pretty narrowly. So I think this team is is way better. I, I like to clown to a Tagovailoa as much as the next guy, but he's really not as bad as everyone thinks he is. Sure, he you know he has a pool noodle for an arm, but you know, you know he he's got the weapons and he can make the necessary throws. He's the most accurate quarterback in the NFL according to Tyreek Hill. So uh, you know I, I think that the Dolphins come away with this game. Pretty much 
as we think it's going to be. I, I don't I don't think it's particularly going to be close. Obviously, we say that now, but a Bill Belichick-led team somehow always finds itself within one score, you know, just how it is, except in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I mean, Tua, though, Tua's proven he can win these games. He's, yeah. He hasn't proven he can win the big games yet. But he's beaten – he's gone out and beaten Bill Belichick. Um, and, and really, the, the Dolphins have had the Patriots number for the yeah. last three or so years. Uh, actually, they even won a couple of games when Adam Gase was coach. Oh, my God. Or Brian Flores. But oh Brian Flores owned them. So that's the difference now is Brian Flores isn't there. Uh, Brian Flores knew the Patriots system very well. He came out of it. Now you have a, a new young head coach, Mike McDaniel, who obviously doesn't know the Patriots system as well, but he does know how to lead an offense. The Dolphins really didn't have that before. So, you know, that might counter that. They, they don't have the inside info on the Patriots anymore. Uh, but they've definitely got a more cohesive offense. Of course, you know, it's not just Mike McDaniel and Tua. They've got Tyreek Hill now on top oh, of yeah. Aaron Waddle. The, the offense is probably explosive enough at this point that they can take care of business against the Patriots at home. Never want to count out the Belichick. Uh, but you're right. The reports on this team in the offseason have been pretty scary. That, uh, you know, <laughs> the offense has not really clicked and that Mac Jones hasn't gotten off to a good start and, they don't really know what kind of offense they're running with Matt Patricia basically leading the, the way. What an uninspiring duo. You have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge leading the offense. Oh, my God. Talk about boring. And the reports haven't been great on it. You know, Joe Judge, Joe Judge is a special teams coach. Matt Patricia was a defensive coach uh, for most of his career. So, yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit of a weird setup. But – it's what it is right now. I mean, I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to have a big year for the Patriots. I think yeah. he's he showed a lot of promise last year. He looks like he's going to overtake Damian Harris as their top yeah, running back, definitely. if not right away, then pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the reports aren't promising. I think listen, even if the Patriots and Dolphins split their season series this year, I think the Patriots win their game at home. Uh, I think the Dolphins repeat last year and and take Week One. Okay. Excellent. Moving on to probably. Through optics, probably the least, like, inspiring matchup of the week. You got the Jaguars and the Commanders, and I'm going to come out and say it. I'm going to paint the picture for you guys. You ready for this? So, obviously, last year, all the Indianapolis Colts had to do was beat the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars, and they were in the playoffs. Carson Wentz, in typical Carson Wentz fashion, could not get it done and played rather poorly. Let me paint a picture for you right here. Obviously, if you guys don't know, you must live under a rock. Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders. It's it's about 11 o'clock on Saturday night, right? Carson Wentz gets into bed. You know, he's got his feety pajamas on. His wife tucks him in in his North Dakota house or whatever. He's going to fly in for the game. He has a nightmare. There's someone galloping towards him that looks like a horse. It's Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) And and Carson Wentz wakes up, pisses the bed, cold meat sweats everywhere, takes his nightmare into week one, and loses against the Jacksonville Jaguars yet again. Uh, We just had – That's all I'm going to say. That's legitimately all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say another word about this game. I think – I think the Jaguars open Doug Peterson's tenure with a win. This is a, a listen. They did it. You're right, though. They did it with Gardner Minshew in Week One in 2020 when they beat the Colts and they ended up one in 15. 
Mm-hmm. Something about it. I don't know. Something about it says they're going to do it again against the former Colt, Carson Wentz. Uh, and who knows? Listen, the, the the wheels might fall off after this week. It's happened before. Yeah, uh, it's it's happened to both these teams before. I mentioned Washington did the same thing in 2020 when they when they went out and beat the Eagles, and they were terrible after that. One of these teams is going to come out with a win, and I bet Trevor Lawrence makes a good first impression. You said basically what I said in a, in a much more diplomatic way. Well, I, I, so. can't, I can't go out and do story time. You're, you know, you already won the day with that story. So I got to let you have your moment. I mean, I, I think this is the most energetic I've ever been on a podcast. And, and this is really scary because I've had like 42 minutes of sleep in the past 24 <laughs> hours. So um, moving on to the next game. We have the second revenge game on the slate between the Carolina Panthers, the Baker Mayfield-led Carolina Panthers, and the Cleveland Browns, the Jacoby Brissett-led Browns. And I'm not going to make any qualms about this matchup. I think – now, I'm getting – I must be tired because I'm getting a little silly with my predictions here. But I think Baker Mayfield absolutely head-kicked KOs the Cleveland Browns this week. I'm saying – we're getting a Jameis Winston-esque performance in week one from Baker Mayfield. I'm going to say 300 yards and five touchdowns is not off the table. I think he goes out there. Remember what he did? Remember when he grabbed his crotch against Kansas because they didn't shake his hand before the game? Yeah. This is that type of energy for week one. He is going to grab his crotch, and he is going to lay it right on the face of Matt Rule. He's just going to lay his nuts, right? Arabian goggles, Matt Rule, right in the face. That's exactly what's going to happen. I, I, I am putting my parlay in. We've said it from probably the second ever episode. Week one, Jets, Panthers, book it as, as, my, as my revenge game parlay. The first, week, the first week we did this, this podcast, we talked about the Baker Mayfield trade to Carolina. And I think I, think I was right there with you and said – you got to lock it in. Uh, what is it? So, yeah, week one, September 11th. Baker Mayfield is beating the Cleveland Browns. It's too perfect. It's too perfect. And we knew that they wouldn't have Deshaun Watson at that point. We were pretty yeah, sure. So it's even that. better. I think, I think we repeated it again when we had CJ on mm-hmm. a month later that Baker Mayfield is going to go in and beat the Browns. I, I got to stick with it. I have to stick with that. I right, listen, the Browns are very talented. Uh, they have the coaching advantage because I really haven't seen enough from Matt Rule yet. Uh, but Matt Rule's Panthers team seemed to be better at the beginning of the season than the end. So maybe, you know, maybe we do see a, a Jaguars, maybe not 1-15, but a Jaguars scenario where they come out, look fantastic week one, just like last year when they started 3-0, uh, and then they go out and finish 6-11 and or whatever it is. Yeah. But I think, I think it's too perfect. It just lines up too perfectly for Baker Mayfield not to beat the Browns. I think this team is, is much more improved um, than we really give them credit for. And also, there's another key that not a lot of that a lot of people kind of joke about, but it, it is certainly a key, and that's that's Carolina signing Rashad Higgins as well. He is far and away has been Baker Mayfield's favorite target throughout his entire career. I think that's huge as well. I think getting back a healthy CMC is huge as well. I think that getting Bradley Bozeman in free agency and then drafting a Kimikwanu, making that offensive line. That much better. He's going to start at left tackle. Taylor Moten, who's been one of the top five right tackles in the league for some time now. Right away, you have a, a pretty decent offensive line. I think I think we're not giving the Carolina Panthers enough credit playing in a rather weak division where you have, you know, Tampa Bay. And if Tom Brady doesn't play lights out, I feel like, 
you know, Tampa Bay isn't isn't a team where they just have a lot of wily veterans on their team. They're also very injured so far this year. Um, you have New Orleans, who you don't know what you're going to get week in and week out from Jameis Winston. And then the Atlanta Falcons are a hot piece of garbage. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we see this team go nine and eight and be second in the, in the NFC South. Uh, obviously, that's me kind of really thinking like like crazy ahead but I, I don't think it i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility if we get a baker mayfield from two years ago i think it's certainly possible moving on to uh get the indianapolis colts and the houston texans another team that i feel like um just got written off really really quick was the houston texans i know that obviously they're not going to be in any way shape or form anywhere near a playoff spot this year but we get to see another round of davis mills he's getting the full year basically as the starter. Uh, I, I think that besides from Mac Jones, and really the only reason why Mac Jones was number one is because he led the Patriots to the playoffs. He wasn't particularly that great. But I think Davis Mills was the second best rookie quarterback last year out of the class. So we get to see a full year of that neck. We get to, <laughs> we get to see what it's capable of. <clears throat> and he doesn't have an easy matchup week one against the Indianapolis Colts, a much improved defense. You think Yannick Ngankwe, they signed, uh, Stefan Gilmore, they signed. They, you know, obviously they have Darius Leonard, who is not going by Darius Leonard anymore. I forgot what he's going by. Shaquille, um, Shaq Leonard. Yeah, yeah, Shaq Leonard, which sounds even more terrifying than Darius Leonard. <laughs> Shaq Leonard is just like, I don't really want to go anywhere near Shaq Leonard. So. All-time great name change. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that – um, Jonathan Taylor rushed for like 400 yards against the, the Texans last year, and they haven't done much to improve their defensive line. If anything, they got worse. They just traded Russ Blacklock to the Minnesota Vikings um, last week as well. Uh, pass rush is uninspiring. Really, it's Rasheem Green and Jonathan Grenard they have on their defensive line, and that's really it. Um, you know, Derek Stingley is going to be someone that's really, really fun to watch this year. I think Jalen Petrie is going to be someone fun to watch this year. Um, it's just going to be a, it's going to be a rough year for Texans fans. I mean, I think that their offense will be a little bit better than people expect. You know, now you have uh, year two of Nico Collins who showed, who showed us some promise last year. Brendan cooks, obviously has been one of the most underrated receivers in NFL history throughout his tenure in the league. Uh, probably like the only guy ever. What is he? He has a thousand yard seasons with like, like four different teams, right? It's the, the Texans, the Rams, the Patriots, and the and the as long the, as he had one with the Patriots, I don't even I don't remember what he, he put did. He did the one year he was there, he and, had like twelve hundred yards. And he's, yeah. he's got four, yeah, four different teams. Yeah, so I mean, he's he's another great wide receiver that they have too. So um, I'm not going to say that the Texans really surprised the Colts here. I think the Colts with Matt Ryan. Also, I, I had this argument with my friend the other day. I wouldn't be surprised if we see an MVP. Now, hold on, I'm not going to say that he's going to win the MVP. Let me let me preface that. We're going to see, I think, an MVP-like performance from Matt Ryan this year in the twilight of his career. And the reason why is because Matt Ryan has never had the combination of a top-five offensive line and the weapons that he now possesses at the same time. You know, Matt Ryan I, for MVP. Okay. Yeah. Well, wait a minute now. Hold on. Let's not get hasty here, Dan. Write that down. But, but um, I, I think that we could see one of Matt Ryan's best-ever years this year. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned I, you could see it being like a Philip Rivers type of year. Philip Rivers really he did play well that year with the Colts, but it was just he was forty years old. It was time for him to retire. <laughs> he was forty um, years old on his son's eleventh child. <laughs> you know, I think in this game though, 
the Texans just aren't good enough. I, I, I think no. I like Davis Mills. I'm glad he's getting a chance. You know, you yeah. named some pieces of that defense. Uh-huh. They just don't have the defense, and the Colts do. Yeah. It's a little bit of a mismatch. I, I, I think this Texans roster is in too bad of a shape to really threaten the Colts. Absolutely. Um, moving on, another team that's in horrible shape. We have the New York Giants against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I've, I've come out on this podcast and, and, and said it once. I will say it again. Until we get to game nine and Daniel Jones has started all nine games, I will continue to say that Tyrod Taylor is going to start more games this year than Daniel Jones. I think that I, I can't see Brian Dayball somehow turning around Daniel Jones like he did with Josh Allen. Now, granted, I don't think Daniel Jones is a horrible quarterback. I just think he's so turnover prone that it's it's something that you can't change. You know, we've seen we've seen the best of Daniel Jones where he could throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns, and we've seen the worst where he could throw for 119 yards and four interceptions. And there's really no in between. It's it's really one or the other. And uh uh against a very very now I know that the the Tennessee Titans did lose um who did they lose? They lost Harold Landry, right, for yeah, the season. Tough. It's that's a tough break, but not the end of the world because they still have one of the better pass rushes in the league. They have Jeffrey Simmons, who I think is a dark horse for Defensive Player of the Year this year. You have Jeffrey Simmons, you have Danico Autry, you have Bud Dupree. Not really terrible. I mean, there are teams that have worse options than that. Um, their secondary is much improved. They're they're. Linebacking core is not great. Still have Zach Cunningham, not terrible. Monty Rice as well. So not not really terrible there. Um, it's the offense that I feel like is is going to really let people down this year with the Tennessee Titans. I feel like I feel like you can't rely on Derrick Henry for 350 rushes this year. I feel like you can't rely on him like that anymore, just in general throughout his career. Uh, we saw last year that putting the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands was pretty detrimental to the Tennessee Titans. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of year that Ryan Tannehill, Traylon Burks, Robert Woods has. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy, but uh, I think this is the perfect week one matchup, especially for Derrick Henry coming off of an injury. I could see Derrick Henry rushing for over 200 yards in week one against the Giants defense. Yeah, the, the Giants just released Blake Martinez, who, you know, he, he the Giants determined he wasn't a fit anymore, but they're really thin uh, at linebacker right now. I think they're going to be starting a fifth-round rookie, and they they've, yeah, they don't have much behind them. Tay Crowder and Micah McFadden are their two yeah, starting and, inside linebackers. Yeah, so, uh, Tay Crowder's fine. Micah McFadden, you don't know what you're going to get out of a, a rookie fifth-round pick. Apparently, they wanted Darian Beavers to be their starter. He was a rookie sixth-rounder. He tore his ACL. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I do think that – um. I think that this is a Derrick Henry feast game. I, I really do think he's going to come out and have a, a big performance, you know, because the issue with this Titans offense this year is everybody is going to be expecting the run. They know that the passing game is not going to be what it used to be. Tannehill didn't look good last year. They do not have AJ Brown anymore. No Julio Jones. It, it, it really is just Robert Woods and Traylon Burks and Traylon Burks is unproven. Robert Woods isn't really a, a coming off of an ACL player. injury and is on the wrong side of 30. <laughs> Right. He's not really number one wide receiver, Robert Woods. Everybody's going to be expecting the Derrick Henry runs. Uh, but the Giants, they're not really good enough to stop it, even if they're expecting it. So I think that's that. I think the Titans can take care of business in week one. Yeah, I, I, I don't think – I think not that we're overthinking it. I think we're just oversaturating the information because it's it's just – 
I think that we're going to give Brian Dayball a pass for this year until he gets his quarterback that he wants. Cause I, I can guarantee you it's not Daniel Jones, yeah. uh, but, but I, maybe it's Tyrod Taylor. Who knows? Uh, moving on to the next game. And this is uh, probably one of the more interesting takes I had for this week. Um, it's the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. And I 100% think that the Minnesota Vikings are going to come out and win this game. And um, it's not because Aaron Rodgers just came back from an ayahuasca trip in Burundi. It's not because of that. Uh, I, maybe it's a little bit of that. But we've seen in years prior that Aaron Rodgers really doesn't perform well in week one. I mean, you think of last year. Uh, the, last year he was horrible in week one. And it's it, it's been a trend for some time now. I don't have the numbers, so don't quote me on that. But I know more often than that, I'm pretty sure he's lost week one. And the Vikings not only beat the Minnesota, the, the Green Bay Packers last year once, they came close to beating them both times. So uh, I think this team definitely got better. Definitely on the defensive side, Minnesota got better. Um, you know, they added Zadarius Smith. Uh, they also have two rookie, uh, um, two rookie linebackers. I know that they have my favorite rookie linebacker in Brian Asamoa. Uh, I think they added someone else as well, but you know, it, it their their defense shouldn't be a problem this year. They added back Michael Pierce as well, so that kind of clogs up the uh, the middle of the line where teams were just feasting through last year. So that kind of clogs up that problem as well. And Kirk Cousins was great last year, forty seven hundred yards, thirty three touchdowns, nine interceptions. That's really good, and people don't give him the credit for that because they think that he doesn't perform in big games. He was not the problem for Minnesota last year. Minnesota lost seven one-score games last year. Seven. That's all. No, think about if they won all those games. They'd be like 14 and, and, and three or something like that, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think Mike Zimmer was really the issue. They they Mike Zimmer and the entire coaching staff just did not know how to – to operate that team. The offense suffered because of it. The defense, you're right, the defense lost a lot of pieces yeah. last year. They've got Daniel Hunter back. Darius Smith is back. It's not perfect, uh, but it's better. And most units have improved. Um, I think the you know the Vikings usually go in and split with the Packers during during the season, no matter what the situation is. And this is the this is a home game. They're playing in Minnesota. I think if they're gonna split the season series, this is the one they take, not the one at Lambeau. I think yeah. Uh, you know, the only way what could get in the way of that is if Kevin O'Connell is just outcoached in his first game. I think Kevin O'Connell's going to have a big year with these Vikings, um, especially with the offense. I, you know, I, I'm still a little, a little shaky on the defense, especially the secondary. But I think, um, I think Kirk Cousins is in for a big year. I think Kevin O'Connell is going to do big things. It would not shock me at all if they were able to split the season series against the Packers and take this one. But yeah, you know, it, it is hard to like completely bank on a first year head coach beating somebody like Matt LaFleur. Yeah. Uh, week one. So, you know, I'm a little hesitant. I got actually, to, when we talk about doing our actual pick em for this week, this is a game I really have to think hard about. I'm, I'm kind of split on it. Uh, but the Vikings are, there's a reason why this line is only a point and a half. I think the yeah. Vikings uh, at home with a, a more, with an improved roster are well positioned to be competitive in this one. Absolutely. Moving on to uh, the Chiefs and the Cardinals, this one I don't think is as easy to predict as people think. I mean, I was writing off the Cardinals in week one last year when they went into Tennessee, and then they, they pretty much handled Tennessee pretty easily. Um, but listen, we're, we're not going to beat a dead horse here. We've sounded off on our qualms about Kyler Murray and the Arizona uh, offense in general. 
They added Marquise Brown. That's great. DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to be able to play for six games. But their offensive line, Kelvin Beecham is their starting right tackle. What are we doing here? Um, I, I, I don't. Let me actually check. I don't know where this game is. I don't know if it's in Arizona it's or in Arizona. It is in Arizona. Yep, Arizona. You know what? I don't really think that matters to me. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I. You don't think those Cardinals fans are going to be out in full force? No, absolutely not. Have you ever been to an Arizona? Have you ever been to a Phoenix Coyotes game or Arizona Coyotes game? There's like seven people there. Um, I don't. I, I, that's like one of those franchises that I just like. I never hear. I've never met someone and it's like, yeah, I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. I've never met someone like that before. They just like they just exist in Arizona, and that's it. But I don't really think that changes my mind. I know that there are some questions about Kansas City's offense after losing Tyreek Hill and another year older for Travis Kelsey, and then the whole Orlando Brown contract dispute. Listen, it doesn't matter when you have the most talented quarterback in NFL history on your team. You're going to find a way to win. They got Juju Smith-Schuster. They added they added Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Sky Moore is is a dark horse for me for offensive rookie of the year. They're going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine, and uh, I, I think they go into Arizona and they get a pretty significant Week One away win. I think uh, I think the only issue that might pop up is having to incorporate all these new receivers uh, in Week One. You know, it's it's probably going to take a little bit of time, but I'm not very high on the Cardinals. I've told you that I've I think I ranked them like 21st or something yes. like that. I think I, I think you know at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes. That's it. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback for the Chiefs. I think they're they're going to take this. That's one. pretty. Uh, yeah, that you could win a lot of arguments with that the one Chiefs, sentence. The Chiefs have had some issues early in seasons where they don't play up to their standards. Yeah, so last year it was like the first nine games that they were. Yeah. weird. So you know why not? You could see this come down to the late in the fourth quarter, but Dan, I think the Chiefs prevail. Dan, don't play devil's advocate. We all know what's going to happen. But you know, you know, this is the NFL, though, and there's nuance to all these That's games. True. And That's true. Did we really think that? Week. Did we really think that the Saints were going to come out last year and beat the Packers thirty-five to three? I didn't think so. Guarantee so. you, you're going to see something this week that's going to surprise you. We're going to be talking about it. Not next week because next week we'll be recording before those games. But in two weeks, we're going to be talking about something. <laughs> but in we two weeks, expect. we will come back to it. Guarantee it. Um, another really intriguing matchup, probably one of my. Probably going to be my favorite to watch, besides for the Jets get utterly creamed by the Baltimore Ravens, is going to be the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders against the LA Chargers. This is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, battle of high-powered offenses. And I'll be honest with you, with the additions that the LA Chargers made to their defense, I think that's going to be the difference. You, the, the Raiders have gotten better in aspects of their roster. True. Their offensive line is hot ass. It, it's so bad. And the LA Chargers boast Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack on their defensive line. And you add Sebastian Joseph Day in there too, Austin Johnson. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be rough. You get a healthy Derwin James back, you know, Asante Samuel Jr., J.C. Jackson. This game might be further apart than we really think, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on the Chargers this year. And, you're completely right. Colton Miller is very good. Yes. He, and can't block every, he can't block everybody. He can't block Bosa and Mack. It's not possible. It's not going to happen. They have a lot of issues uh, in almost every other spot on the offensive line. And to their credit, they did a good job of, of winning despite it last year because yeah. they had these offensive line issues. Um, 
I don't think that's the case this year because you think of you think of how much better the not only the division in general, the division pass rushing wise got. You know what I mean? And granted, yeah. the, the the Las Vegas Raiders did add Chandler Jones themselves. Everyone forgets about that because they they added Devontae Adams. So Chandler Jones takes a backseat there. They got better themselves, but you know, you think of Denver, you think Red they signed Randy Gregory to that huge, you know, contract. The Chargers got Khalil Mack to add to Joey Bosa. The the Chiefs never have a problem rushing the passer. It your offensive line gets worse and the defensive line and on every other team gets better. Not a good recipe. Yeah, I, I see the I see the Raiders as more of a middling team this year than a series threat in the AFC. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Justin Herbert revenge game here. They the Raiders kicked them out of the playoffs last year in that insane final game of the regular season. Justin Herbert gets his Chargers started off on the right foot. They yep. win this one. Um, then we have the Sunday night game between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that this game is going to be as close as it was last year, where we, where in week one we legitimately thought, hey, the Cowboys have, a, like, in the fourth quarter with eight minutes left, we were like, hey, the Cowboys could win this game. I don't think that's the case this year. I know that there's been, you know, clouds of speculation around Tom Brady, why he was gone, why he looks so tan. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's been some why, speculation. Why his face looks like that. Why his face looks like a leather catcher's mitt. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sorry. But I, this, this, the offense is so overpowered. I mean, yeah, Gronkowski is retired for the fourth time. Maybe he's finally done. They added Russell Gage and they added Julio Jones. I know Julio obviously is not what he used to be, but you know, Julio could be what he used to be when he's surrounded by Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. You know, so that's probably the best wide receiving core in football. And the fact that they had to release Tyler Johnson because he was the odd man out, where Tyler Johnson is a legit third wide receiver on pretty much every other team in the NFL, that's how you know that they're loaded. And, um, yeah, they lost they lost Ryan Jensen for the year, right? Uh, for likely the year. They haven't officially ruled him out, but it doesn't look like the regular season is so, going to be. Yeah. So let's, let's say they lost him for the year. Aaron Stinney. I think is going to miss week one as well. He's their new left guard, I think, since Alex Kappa left. Um, the 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 pass rush for the Dallas Cowboys could get to Tom Brady. Maybe that'll be my only drawback to. to they didn't have they didn't have Demarcus Lawrence last year. Week or, or did they? Maybe he got did he get hurt week one or did he? Get I think hurt he got hurt week, week one. Okay, so yeah, but um, you know. Dallas was just a, a, a victim of the fact that they had way too many big contracts on their roster. And I said it years ago before we even knew each other, Dan, when they signed Ezekiel Elliott to a $60 or $90 million deal, it was going to come back to bite them in the ass. When you're paying Ezekiel, when you're paying any running back, $15 million a year, pretty much guaranteed, it's going to hurt your, your salary cap issues. And it came back to really bite them in the ass. Uh, you know, they had to release Lyle Collins. They had to release a bunch of guys on the defense as well. Their defensive line did not get better at all, I would say. I like Sam Williams, though. I will say that that was, that was a, a really, really good uh, draft pick. I think it was in the third round as well. So Sam Williams is definitely going to play a, a pretty big role. But DeMarcus Lawrence is not the player he used to be. I think teams are really, really going to hone in on Micah Parsons this year. And a lot of people have picked Micah Parsons to be their defensive player of the year. I will say, if Micah Parsons turns around a similar season from last year, 
And he's probably one of the best defensive players in football because there's going to be a lot of attention on him this year. A lot of attention. I'm talking about like right tackle and tight end, basically blocking on every single play. Micah Parsons, he's going to get double teamed because I don't think that Demarcus Lawrence could win in a pass rushing situation one-on-one anymore. And Sam Williams is unproven to this point. So until either he proves himself or Demarcus Lawrence starts winning one-on-one, I think their pass rush is going to be pretty much neutralized. And then you have, you know, Trayvon Diggs, who is one of the is the most overrated player in football. 11 interceptions, but he also gave up over a thousand receiving yards, which is ungodly. If you I mean, Trayvon Diggs is summed up in in, in a two-play span. Last year against the New England Patriots, he had a pick six, and then the next play he gave up a 75-yard touchdown. That that is what Trayvon Diggs is. That is just him. That that is exactly what it is. But yeah, I don't really see Tampa Bay having an issue with this. Maybe Tom Brady's a little bit rusty. That's all I could really say. And maybe the pass rush does better than we think, but I don't really have any other drawbacks to it other than that. Yeah, the, the Cowboys are a team trending in the wrong direction. I think especially with the Tyron Smith injury, they've they now they've got a bunch of offensive line issues uh against Shaquille Barrett. Yeah. Uh, and this Buccaneers pass rush. That's concerning. Uh, you know, you're you're right. You see Tom Brady come out and have some weird games. The the Buccaneers have some weird games. They they got shut out by the Saints last year. They were nearly beaten by the Jets. Um, you know, they they I think they had a they didn't play so well against the Panthers late in the year either. They have some weird games. You never know if you know maybe it's a sluggish offense to start the season. Uh, but at the end of the day, the defense will probably take care of that Cowboys offensive line. Yeah, uh, and keep the Cowboys down. Uh, it sounds to me like now we're going to get to my lock of the week after the next game, but it sounds to me like this is your lock of the week because the Buccaneers are only favored by a point and a half. Oh, it's a lock. It's a lock. Yeah, for me. I, I, it sounds like you're all in on Tampa here. Oh, I'm all in, baby. So, I mean, I think I think the Bucks come out on top. I, I think you're right. I think it's not as closely matched as it was last year. The Buccaneers do have some issues. They've got some offensive line problems. Tristan Wirfs. Uh, had like a recurring injury or two during the during the training camp in the preseason. He's fine. He's technically healthy from week one, but uh, it's something that could pop up really at any point. So not not this offense isn't totally. I, I believe Chris Godwin isn't ready yet either. This offense no. isn't as set as it once was. Um, but they're they're so deep that I, I do think that with the way the Cowboys are trending, that they take care of business this time. Yes, I think that you are right, and not only because I said that as well but uh so the final game on the slate um once again before we finish this part and then we just have daily dan's pick of the week which is like the greatest name for a segment of all time um these episodes will be longer than usual usually we hover around the one one hour 15 minute one hour 30 minute mark obviously with so much more to 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 cover for the next couple months, you know, you think of uh, hockey starting, basketball starting, the World Series coming around the corner. It, there's the episodes are going to be longer, so you know, if you're still here listening at the one hour fifty eight minute mark, we appreciate you guys so so much. I know I'll be listening, but that's because it, I'm I am one half of the podcast, so I have to listen. <laughs> but and I also edit the podcast, so I have to listen to it. But um, we appreciate it. And these episodes, obviously, this is a little bit clunky. I'd say I'm off like no sleep. You know, uh, this is the first time we're doing this segment, so obviously it'll be a little bit clunky, but it'll obviously get smoother. I think we're doing a good job, but it will get smoother as the weeks go on. But the last game is the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos. Now, this is three of three of the revenge tour. 
uh, you can't even really call it a revenge tour because Russell Wilson was not done wrong by the Seattle right. Seahawks organization. We're still going to call it a revenge tour. We're still going to call it a revenge game because a lot of people are saying that Seattle's going to come out and beat Denver. And what planet do you live on if you think that that's even remotely possible? Geno Smith is playing quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. I don't care if you have Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison and Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice as your four wide receivers. They're not winning. I, I don't understand these people that are like, oh, well, don't sleep on the Seattle Seahawks here because, you know, they, 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 might, they might win. Really? They're starting two – they're bookending two rookie tackles. Abraham I, Lucas and Charles Cross are their two starting tackles. Now, granted, I think Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas are good, but it's going to be the first game of the season. Right then and there, you're going up against a, not elite, but a pretty decent pass rush for the Denver Broncos. What, what are we talking about here? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, listen, I you know I advocated for Geno Smith to be the starter. Uh, no, I like Geno a lot. He's good. <laughs> I'm very happy that he got this chance. But no, it, it, you know this is this is <laughs> not. No. Listen, listen, I'll be rooting for him. I'll, I'll I'll completely give you that. If Geno Smith beat Russell Wilson on opening night, you know Russell Wilson loses to his former team on in the first Monday Night Football game of the year. I'm all in rooting for that. I'll be very happy. I'm going to come back here and be so excited about it. However, yeah. however, I, I just can't see it. How, how is Russell Wilson going to let Geno Smith beat him yeah. against his former team? No, no, no. And you're right. The, the rookie tackles are, are a big problem against Bradley Chubb and, and Randy Gregory. Bradley Chubb is finally yes, I forgot healthy. Bradley Chubb is coming back he, healthy. He, this did year. Not, he did not have a great year when he, when he was healthy uh, last year. I think he's going to be in for a. What, I think it's his contract year this year. He's playing yeah, on the so you know how around twenty sacks. So I think he's going to come out and have a nice year and make some money after this year, one way or another. Excellent. And it's going to start on uh, on Monday night. <laughs> so now we have the. I mean, this is what I've been looking forward to for the last two hours, and that's daily Dan's lock of the week. Dan, take it away. I teased it before. I kind of, well, I kind of teased it before, and it's not the Bucks and the Cowboys. It was much earlier. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can, maybe you can try to guess. Maybe you can give us a guess of what of what I'm going for. But uh, the Carolina Panthers over the Cleveland Browns. Well, okay. The the Panther. I like the Panthers. I like the Panthers over the Browns, but they are they're favored by two and a half. So I'm going to do this along. Are they really? Oh, I didn't even know that. So, yeah, because, well, I guess home game against Jacoby Brissett and yeah. a lot of money going on the Panthers for the same reasons we explained. But my, my lock of the week is uh, the Saints by five and a half. Really? Against Atlanta, which it's pretty funny because you came out and said, you know, <laughs> right from the start, like, don't sleep on the Falcons. Like, I could see them winning this game. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pour some cold whoa. water on that one. Well, I didn't say I didn't say don't sleep on them. I said it's a possibility. In, There's in, a possibility in, of me being a millionaire at some point, but it's not going to happen. That's a nice way to say don't sleep on them. So <laughs> I, I do think that you know they, like I said, they came out and uh, they went into Atlanta, the Saints, and beat the Falcons by ten at the end of last year with Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. The Falcons had Matt Ryan. Uh, the Saints were missing everybody. They Their roster was a shell of itself compared to what it is now. Mm-hmm. I know they lost Sean Payton. I don't really care. I think a lot of people are taking that very seriously. Maybe the offense takes a hit. Uh, but I love Dennis Allen. I think Dennis Allen has earned this opportunity. 
Oh yeah. They they shut out the Buccaneers in the one game he had to coach for Sean Payton last year. I really I do think that Dennis Allen's going to do big things as their head coach. He's earned it. Uh, and I think it's going to start this week. I think J- famous Jameis comes out week one uh, with a typical week one Jameis performance. Good old crap. Uh, and I think, since, Winston. I think just like they did against the Packers last year, they're going to make a statement week one in Atlanta. Uh, I think I think they're going to win by a touchdown or more. So I think I you, you got to take the Saints. Yeah, it's a, real, it's a real statement winning against the team that might go two and 15. But uh, – Oh okay. no. well, but 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 earlier it was okay for you to say that Marcus <laughs> Mariota could come out and throw for 300 yards and make people question their future quarterback plans. Dude, this week. I have to play devil's advocate. <laughs> I hadn't advocated yet at that point. You were, you were out. <laughs> well, either way, I have to play both sides of the fence. This is how this works. No, but that is, I mean, the fact that the fact that that's the line where. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that is pretty much a lock. So I have to yeah, agree with lock, you on that a one. A lock is supposed to win you money, not make anybody feel good or bad. Saints yeah. by five and a half. I think you have to take that. That's daily Dan, everyone. I mean, everything is just so cold and calculated from this man. Now, a just beautiful- so you know, just so you know, I had three picks uh, for college football week one, and I went oh for three. So, <laughs> yeah. so I won't, even, I won't even get into them. I won't even get into them. But, uh, <laughs> So I'm trying to get get back on the on the right track here. Well, you guys know what my picks are for Week One. My picks are the Jets, the Panthers, and the Broncos. That's why the, all three revenge games. That's that's it. I'm actually gonna put the parlay in today so I don't forget because I, I probably will. But um, Dan, that was a that was a marathon, not a sprint. I, I will say I think that we both did a fantastic job. I'm going to uh, go plunge my face in some ice cold water before I fall asleep on the dining room table. Thank you guys so much for watching this extended episode. Like we said, it is going to listening. Sorry, not watching. I'm looking at myself. So that's why I thought I was watching, but thank you guys so much for listening to this extended episode. Like we said, going to be a little bit longer from here on out, but if you guys love ASN podcast, then you're going to love more of Dan and I, that's all I got to say on that. So Dan, take it away, please. I am so glad that we have hit this time of year. Football's back. It's Labor Day weekend. Uh, you know, by the time you, you listen to this, we're going to be, what, two days out from the start of the NFL season? Yes. I mean, 48 hours. It's pretty good. So uh, we're looking forward to, to deep diving into some of these games more. I think it's going to be a lot more fun once we've actually seen these teams on the field and we've got some storylines to talk about and we've got some surprises happening. Right now, it's kind of just based on our expectations. But, you know, football is almost in full swing. College football is going. The NFL is starting up. Uh, and it's a good time of year. So thank you, everybody, who who listened this far along. Uh, as always, we're going to try to get you guys some cool guests going forward in addition to uh, to our analysis, our picks. And uh, we, we only expect to go up from here. So thanks for, for listening along. Daily Dan, everyone.